The CFB Winning Edge podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. You can support this show by visiting patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge and joining as a Tier 1 supporter. Join Tier 2 to receive access to our 2020 FBS team profiles, which include over 150 pages of player, coach, and team performance information, and team projections updated daily to reflect injuries, transfers, personnel moves, and schedule updates. Welcome back, everybody. It's CFB Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports, and I'm joined, as always, by the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen. You can follow him on the Twitter at CFB Winning Edge and Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E. And it's opening day for baseball, guys. So some sports are back, yeah. which is always <laughs> a uh, you know a great look for us wanting uh, college football to come back, but you guys are both Braves fans. And of course, uh, selfishly, I scheduled this uh, podcast to not only be delayed, but be delayed <laughs> to start at the exact same time that the Braves game did. In all fairness, I didn't realize that they were the early game uh, today. So it's not, it was definitely not a purposeful thing, but I mean, you know, you guys are, uh, you're, you're baseball fans, but not, you're not an insane baseball fan, mm-hmm. so I don't feel too guilty. Just a little guilty <laughs> for doing this. But Nick, how, how's it going, man? Ah, I mean, things are uh, pretty good. Pretty good, like you said. Uh, opening day uh, is always a, a fun day. Have fond memories of, of opening days past. I worked in baseball for uh, a little bit, uh, three years, and so opening day was always sort of this big looming monster of sorts that was both wonderful and horrible at the same time but well, your uh, opening day was closer to this <laughs> to this opening day though it was it? yeah i worked for yeah. a, a short season club and so we were we always started up uh actually we would have been playing for a, a month <laughs> it, right, uh, yeah. uh always started right around father's day so the, the mm, what, okay. third weekend in june but uh yeah you know it's it's uh it's good to have live sports back and and uh baseball of course one of my favorites and then my uh i I haven't even mentioned this i don't think to you guys but the the soccer team that i follow uh had just sort of a a miracle they got into the playoffs they play in the the second division in in the english uh football league swansea city they uh they were out of the like out of the running and uh, almost and and, uh, ended up uh, winning 4-1 and, and a team that was two spots ahead of them lost 4-1, so they ended up sneaking into the oh, last playoff spot. So if if they uh, can make it through, they get back to the Premier League for the first time in a couple of years, which would be exciting, but making the playoffs at all was, was exciting. Uh, that's uh, our logo, if anybody has noticed, like a, the color scheme. I mean, black and white is just easy to do, but it's also – it's also a, a little bit of a nod to, to Swansea City. So. Wow! Yeah, I don't, I don't even know what you don't even know that, that is. is. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know any of that. But Xavier, you seem to be uh, better informed than me. I know, uh, you know, uh, football, you know, uh, soccer mm-hmm. is a, it, it's a very popular, growing sport in the states. But like, 
I don't know, man. I can't, I can't get out of like the the four majors and then a couple other, you know, my minor things. Obviously, college football. You know, I'm deep into, but um, you you know, like I don't know. I, I dabble a little bit in boxing. I'm not really a big UFC guy. I'm not a big race car of any type of style guy. I would like to be more into soccer, but MLS is like. What is MLS like fourth or fifth on the? No, keep going. Keep yeah, going. Oh, <laughs> even further down than that? Fifth, eleventh, or twelfth? Really? Yeah, you gotta okay. go. I didn't know there were that many separate leagues mm. in Europe. I know there's oh, set, yeah. a lot of separate leagues mm. in Europe, but uh, I didn't know there were that many separate leagues. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> Europe and Latin America and right there. Yeah. Uh, there was a, uh, we don't have to go too deep in this, but I'm sure some of our <laughs> listeners also listened to uh, the Cover 3 podcast, which is one of my favorites. And they had a, a bit of a soccer discussion because one of the, like two of the, the hosts pay pretty close attention, one doesn't. And they were talking about MLS because it was on saying like, oh, you know, uh, it's great to have live American sports on. I'm thinking maybe I'll get into soccer. Maybe I'll start watching this MLS thing. And the two that were that paid closer attention, like, nah, maybe, maybe not. Like the MLS is is great for people that already like soccer. Mm-hmm. But to use a college football analogy, which they did, I thought was pretty good. Was uh, you know you wouldn't necessarily say, hey, come watch college football, get into it for the first time. Here's the Mac. Like it's, right. it's sort of it's sort of like that. Yeah. So. yeah. Okay. Yeah. All we right. love the yeah. Mac. We love the Mac. But if you're going to get into it, maybe watch the SEC, the Big Ten first, right, and, right. Then, uh, and then there, expand your horizons. Well, what's the biggest one? Is it the English Premier League? Yeah. yeah. And Spain's really high up there. As La well. Liga, right? Is that what it's called? Yeah. Okay. Well, I, at least I know the names. I'm not that far disconnected. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I I haven't paid. I you know what? I pay attention to the World Cup. Well, when that comes around, you know, yeah. I, I watch the World Cup. That's always so much fun. You get to see, you know, everyone really, really root for their country. That's mm. a, a lot of fun. And I'm sure soccer is. It's just, you know, regular season um, and all that stuff. It's just I have I have too much to focus on. So everything else I kind of push out to the side. So yeah. um, for me, it was it was sort of uh, I started paying attention, I guess, six or seven years ago. But it was when I. Uh, was sort of in the transition between having worked in baseball for a few years and then having uh, basically written about all sorts of of sports. I was starting to get a little burned out uh, just of of the daily grind of it all Mm -hmm. and and felt my fandom was really uh, suffering a bit. And I still wouldn't even, you know, Mm -hmm. my, my, like, I love college football, but I wouldn't even really consider myself a a Georgia fan for the most part anymore, Uh, even though I, I went there and rooted for him you know, my whole life, but yeah. it's just because it's tied to all this stuff. Like I would root against Georgia if our numbers said <laughs> that that's what was supposed to happen. So, so, uh, you know, my, my fandom was sort of uh, waning in general and it was an opportunity just because I, I uh, was starting pretty fresh. I had watched some world cups and, and that was basically it and started playing uh, FIFA and thought, you know, Hey, this is, this is something I, 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 have very limited knowledge. So it, it gave me an opportunity yeah, one to, to learn, learn, but two, just not to get sort of bogged down in the minutia that can happen sometimes when you pay a little too close yeah. attention. And, and so it was nice to pick up a new uh, sport and a new fandom. And so that's, that's been fun for me. But that, I definitely had like, that fear uh, in starting, mm-hmm. you know, working in sports and stuff like, am I going to lose, you know, because I haven't missed a Steelers game live since I was 15 years old. 
So I, I thought, am I going to like lose some of that luster? And luckily I just, I haven't, it's yeah. always, you know, my team's first and then my fantasy team second, but uh, you know, which is why I boo whenever uh, you guys bring up Oklahoma or, which we will. or, or any, and we will today because we're talking about the, the big 12, uh, of course, the big 12 and conference USA. But before we dive in here, Nick, tell everyone what you're working on at CFB Winning Edge because I, I'm excited about it. And we talked a little about it uh, off air, and you're, you're getting a little giddy about it. I'm, I'm excited <laughs> to see it. I, I am excited about it. And, and uh, so I, I've, I'm trying my hand at statistical projections for the first time. It's something that's been on uh, sort of my, my wish list of, of what I would like for us to offer because people have paid attention uh, to the, the work we've done the last couple of years. We've projected point spreads for every FBS uh, versus FBS game over the last couple of years and, and have had some success with that. But we haven't done, you know, totals. We haven't done any uh, work that would help really for people interested in props or, or you know, some of our information is, I think, helpful to, to CFF and DFS uh, players, but I, I wanted to do something that would be a little bit, uh, a little bit better, offer a little bit more, and, and just more value to, to the people that you know follow and, and read and support us. But also, uh, it's kind of fun for me, and, and so was able to, to uh, come up basically with uh, a, a way of doing things that allow me to project uh, both team and player statistics for you know points per game. Uh, passing yardage, rushing yardage, receiving yardage. Uh, I'll be doing individual player projections for uh, the top quarterback for each team, top two running backs, top three receivers, and top tight end, which, like I said, will be helpful to CFF and, and DFS players. And so really sort of digging in to that, learning a lot about how to do it and, and tweaking things and, and sort of uh, think, you know, figuring out my thought process. So looking forward to offering those. I, I will say, you know, don't expect them to be anywhere near perfect, uh, but it'll be, uh, I, I think, uh, you know, kind of taking, I, I think, a little bit of a different uh, slant on it than maybe some of the other uh, outfits out there that, that do some similar things, similar to, to sort of my thought process when building our uh, FBS team profiles and our, our player ratings. So uh, excited about that, excited to, to put them out, excited to learn, uh, you know, see where we went wrong, what we got right, all that good stuff. But uh, that should be available to our patrons uh, within two weeks, hopefully. The, the date I'm shooting for is August 10th. Uh, would, of course, love to get them done quicker than that. But, uh, you know, I, I, I am committed that by August 10th, uh, those will be available to our patrons. We'll have a new set of Google Sheets that will put out, and that will have all 130 teams individually. Uh, and then pages, of course, where you can uh, look and see all 130 teams at once and then those players that we talked about at once. So pretty excited about it. Looking forward to, to getting that wrapped up here in the next couple of weeks. I'm looking forward to it, uh, to it too, because, you know, we don't have the schedule yet. So <laughs> a lot of the, uh, you know, the fan duels and DraftKings and places like that, they don't have uh, lines or player props or anything like that yet. But as soon as those start trickling in, you'll be able to use uh, these projections uh, to, to look at those numbers too. So that's going to be a lot of fun to look at, which uh, by the way, I know you guys are two Braves fans. If you're watching this. Uh, if you're watching this, did you see that they did a cardboard cutout of Chipper Jones 
mm-hmm. and a bird definitely took a dump right on his face. So, uh, which I'm like, yep, that's the Mets right there. You know, he named his child Shay, right? Because he hit so well at Shea Stadium. Oh, yeah. So uh, always kind of funny. But let's get into some of these uh, news and notes uh, happening around college football. And the first one we're going to start out in my state because at the U of A, Arizona, three-year starting linebacker Tony Fields II announced he would transfer. He's received interest from a lot of good teams, USC, Minnesota, Texas, Utah, and way more. But he is the second returning starter to leave the Wildcats defense and is the sixth Arizona defender to transfer after playing in 16 or more games. They did get a transfer in, however, the Mexico State's defensive tackle Roy Lopez, who missed all of last year due to an injury, but he has started 36 games uh, for the Aggies and has had a productive, if not underrated career so far. So a little weird situation. Um, You know, uh, Sumlin kind of comes with a little bit of a diciness, I guess, to to just to say his name uh, to start with. But why do you think uh, this is uh, Arizona's having this problem with transfers, Nick? You know, it's it's it is a bit interesting. They they had to change it defensive coordinator. They haven't had a whole lot of success uh, defensively in in the last few years. Fields was was very good, very productive. Uh, he and Colin Schooler were were you know together one of the top rated duos in in the Pac-12, if not the country. When we talked about our our Pac-12 uh, in our Pac-12 preview a, a couple of weeks ago, uh, I, I talked about how highly rated that linebacker unit was as a whole. And this certainly is a, a big hit. I mean, they were uh, close to, you know, a top 10 on paper uh, when, when Fields was part of it. And, and now that he's no longer there, uh, they rank 21st, which as we talked about still might be a little bit high based on sort of what we expect the, the Arizona defense to look, you know, look like this year, but uh, it's definitely a big loss. And, and, you know, to have, uh, half a dozen players that, that you would have expected to be pretty big contributors, including two guys who were starters last year, is a little bit, you know, it makes you makes you think a little bit what, what's going on there. And so it could certainly be the scheme. It could be the uncertainty of, uh, you know, someone's future there. It could also be, you know, one thing that, that keeps coming in to mind when we're talking about a lot of these guys transferring and, and we're seeing a few, you know, true freshmen guys that just signed a few, uh, months ago, decide, okay, actually, you know, I'm going to not going to come to campus, going to, going to hold back. And I wonder if, you know, the, the pandemic has something to do with it. A lot of these guys are, are going to school out of state. They might decide, okay, I'm going to maybe stick a little closer to home. I'm not sure if that is a factor here for fields at all. Perhaps it's just, you know, he wants to go somewhere where he's got an opportunity to compete for a conference championship or, or a national championship. And so uh, if he ends up at a place like USC or Texas, maybe uh, he could be the missing piece to uh, those defenses and, and help them really, you know, make that push. So I, I will definitely be interested to, to see where he ends up because he's one of the higher profile uh, transfers that we've seen outside of the, the quarterback position. So definitely interested to look at that. And then, you know, Lopez, I, I saw this when, when the news broke uh, that he was transferring. And, and for whatever reason, he's somebody that's always sort of uh, caught my eye a little bit and, and somebody that I think is a, a bit underappreciated. So Arizona obviously has uh, some depth 
concerns. And, and so adding a player that's 310 pounds has played a lot of football in his past. Uh, as long as he's healthy, I think he's going to play a lot and, and, you know, isn't going to fill up the stat sheet, but he's somebody that uh, certainly will fill up a, a gap. And, and so uh, hopefully, you know, he'll be able to, to move on and, and uh, have a, a solid senior season and maybe catch the eye of a, a few pro scouts. Xavier, they need somebody in that defense because uh, it's been transfer city from yeah. U of A and Kevin Sumlin. So your thoughts on uh, transfer out and transfer in going on at U of A here? Yeah, this is a move to better your positioning in the NFL draft. That's essentially what this move is for him. I think it's an opportunity to go to a place where he's going to be able to play substantial big games. And right now with – I think what really is going to hurt some of these conferences is that these players know that their conferences don't get the love that the Pac uh, the Big 12, the Big 10, the SEC do. And when they have the opportunity to go play in those conferences right now with them only having an only conference schedule, it makes it a much more uh, – it makes it harder – for scouts to, to suggest that a player is better because of a non-conference game that he may have, which right now, if he goes off and plays Texas, he's still playing cream of crop talent at Oklahoma. He's still playing good talent at Oklahoma State. But the issue is, is people don't watch the Pac-12. They don't stay up to watch the Pac-12. And if you feel like you're a guy who's one of the top talents in the country, why not go to a school that's going to also match that with the amount of exposure you're going to also receive? Um, as far as the the the, Mexico, the transfer in, you're right. They need as much help as they can get on, on defense, period. Hey, if he can stand up and play some linebacker, they need him to do that if possible. Uh, but I, I think that it's a good move for him. Once again, this is another opportunity for him to get reps in at a bigger school and allow him to get uh, looks in from scouts. I think both of these moves are to help bolster their career. And what might be a shortened season, if they only do play a conference schedule, you're going to have to – booster bolster your exposure as much as possible first of all how dare you people watch <laughs> people watch the pac-12 every single week i don't want to hear that uh, nick and i are up watching it late every single saturday recording a cff show many many people watch uh the pac-12 after dark but many many people your first choice is probably not you be you obey you know if if you're watching pac-12 dark Usually you're watching USC, Washington, Arizona State, you know, Cal, some, someone that is good and not watching U of A most of the time. So I'm with you on that. This is definitely a move uh, because, I mean, look, if he moves to USC, he's staying in the Pac-12 and they start games late. Xavier. All right. Uh, everybody watches USC still. So I don't I don't want to hear that. But uh, moving down the news here, um, Air Force quarterback Donald Hammond is no longer in good standing at the academy. Looks like he's lost his cadet status, uh -oh. which is upsetting to me, Nick, because I was just in a 16-man G5-only draft, and I took Donald Hammond, and now it looks like he's going to be cooked for the year. So not good for Air Force because they don't have a lot of experience behind him. Yeah, it, it's definitely a, a disappointment. And, and there were a couple of guys uh, about this time last year that were projected starters at, at Air Force that – ended up having a, a similar situation where we're suspended and, and uh, you know, it's, it's certainly unfortunate. Hopefully it's, it's nothing too serious. We don't know the details uh, as of yet, but you know, Donald Hammond was a, a big part of air force's success on offense last year, ran for 13 touchdowns over 500 yards uh, through for 1300 yards, which isn't a ton, but uh, was among the nation's leaders in, 
yards per pass attempt, almost 12 yards per pass attempt through 13 touchdowns. Whenever he, you know, whenever a, a pass play was called, it had an opportunity to to be a, a big play. So uh, it's going to be a loss. I mean, the the looking at our, our depth charts, the adjustments are made to the, the depth charts here. Uh, Warren Bryant, uh, Bryan is, is the only guy uh, listed who, you know, has any game experience. They had uh, two seniors last year. They, they played three quarterbacks at times last year. Isaiah Sanders ran out of eligibility. He's transferred now to Stanford. Mike Schmidt uh, had a, a big game against Hawaii uh, in a reserve uh, situation, and, and he is now also out of eligibility. So, you know, they're really going far down the depth chart compared to uh, the guys that were available last year. And, and you know, Chance Stevenson, I, I saw after the report came out, he's uh, in the mix maybe for this job. He's not on the roster that's available online. And in, in my depth charts, I don't even have a, a hide or a weight listed <laughs> for him. So, uh, you know, it's uh, Air Force has a lot of has a lot of options because they recruit you know, dozens of, of players are able to sign uh, 50 guys a year or, or whatever it is. And, and so there are guys that will uh, compete for this job, but uh, losing somebody as, as talented and as experienced as Hammond, certainly uh, a big loss for a team that, you know, is ranked second in the Mountain West in our power rating. So a uh, big, big loss for sure. Xavier, your thoughts on Donald Hammond and the inexperience that Air Force has a QB now? Yeah, I mean, this is a – I really hope that whatever the situation is with him, it's not too bad. Um, you know, typically at uh, universities like this, especially at the Air Force, when it's something like this that you're no longer able to represent the university with outside activities, that means it's something that isn't, is, is pretty reprehensible. Um, and that's not a good thing. Um, and I, as far as their depth at the quarterback position – what depth? I mean, it's really it's really a, a tough situation. You know, I hate to beat a dead horse, but man, you haven't been able to practice with any of these guys. I mean, most of them have been throwing routes on air, maybe if they're lucky with like their former high school teammates while in quarantine. So it's a little more intricate in a triple option, too. So. Yeah. I mean, I guess they can run the veer. They can watch Remember the Titans, you know, <laughs> you know a couple plays. It's like Novocaine. It'll work eventually. So, you know, they'll get it right. They That's need so to get uh, the transfer sunshine in <laughs> to uh, to help them out. So, uh, but I mean, this is not a great situation for Air Force at this point. And uh, Nick, how bad does it hurt them as far as being now ranked in the Mountain West? Has they, have they fallen out of that second position? No, they're they're still there, and and a lot of that is uh, they they've got uh, some pretty strong team performance ratings and, and last year's results played a, a pretty big uh, part in that. I mean, they, they have a team performance rating 91.25, which is, you know, top 30 level, which, which was very, very good. And offensively uh, had almost a 94 and they return Caden uh, Rimsburg at, at tailback and, and Timothy Jackson at fullback. So those, those guys, they're going to lean on pretty heavily. And, you know, you're right. The system that they run is, uh, of course, an option-based system that they're going to rep whenever time, you know, whenever they're able to, going to rep it over and over and over and over. So I'm not necessarily concerned that, you know, whoever fills this job, they might not have, you know, the, the pure athleticism that Hammond had, where, you know, perhaps he can uh, break a longer run or, or you know, have a, a, a such a, a 
understanding of the system that he's able to, you know, make the reads quicker to, mm -hmm. to give or pitch or keep or, or what have you. So I, I think that whoever ends up getting this job will eventually, uh, you know, get, get up to speed, but they just might not have, you know, that athleticism or, or skill set that Hammond uh, had. And, and of course, you know, it's difficult to, to replace experience as well, you know, actual game reps. So mm -hmm. I think they'll be fine and it doesn't necessarily numbers wise even. I mean, Hammond, I, I think in some ways our numbers underrated him. He wasn't even up to an 80 yet. So whoever's going to replace him is going to be in the, the 70, uh, low 70, high 60 range. So it's not a huge drop off as far as our numbers go but you know i think if if uh, uh it, it might have a bigger impact maybe than our numbers are, are capturing right now so we still have them second but you know it, it just looking at it based on my knowledge and, and my understanding of his experience uh, i might if i were making rank, uh, my own just off the top of my head rankings i might be tempted to push Air Force down to third, fourth, maybe even fifth, because I do think it's a big loss. Yeah, it's uh, it's not going to help them. But I tell you what is helpful for TCU is they get a pair of transfers and some good ones, too. They got uh, Nebraska wide receiver J.D. Spielman and LSU linebacker Marcel Brooks. Both were projected starters. And if uh, eligible, and Spielman we think likely is, uh, they will immediately start for TCU, Nick. So a great uh, haul for the Horn Frogs. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, J.D. Spielman was up up towards the top of Nebraska's all-time uh, receiver, you know, receiving yardage uh, leaderboard. So big time, big time guy was probably going to be their number one receiver this year until he decided uh, to transfer. And, and we've talked about him a, a bit before. Uh, quality player, not a not a huge target, but. Um, you know, TCU seems like a, a little bit of a, a weird fit and, and we haven't necessarily been impressed with them offensively the last couple of years, but Max Duggan uh, got a lot of experience as a true freshman last year. He flashed a little bit, can run a little bit. He's going to improve, I'm sure, as a passer. They have Zach Evans now, five-star uh, running back, and, and perhaps Spillman can, you know, slide in and, and play uh, a little bit of a role that we saw Jalen Rager last year. They moved him around a bit, got him and got him the football in a, a variety of ways. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if, if TCU can take a step forward offensively and, and how uh, Spielman's role will, will be with that for sure. Brooks is somebody that we had projected to start at LSU. So uh, I believe that he is moving closer to home. So that, you know, perhaps is, is a bit of the uh, thought process there. Uh, I, I think he's going to need a waiver and I'm not sure if he would have maybe the grounds that, that Spielman would have to get one. Cause remember Spielman did redshirt at Nebraska had not graduated. So he still does need a waiver and, and we think he's going to get it. Reporting uh, indicates that he will, but I don't know that that's official quite yet. So could still be a, a you know a little bit of a chance that this doesn't end up working out for him, but hopefully it will. But Brooks, I'm not sure what the situation is, and perhaps I just missed uh, a report. But we don't currently have him listed in our depth charts. Do have him listed in the transfer section. Uh, but you know he's a, a player that was very very highly regarded, 98 plus coming out of. Uh, high school, according to 247 Sports, we've got him almost as an 88-rated player as a, a sophomore. So he's somebody that is, you know, super, super high-end talent. 
uh, can play linebacker, can also play safety or, or a bit of a hybrid role. So uh, I'm sure he's going to be a, a perfect fit for Gary Patterson whenever he gets on the field and, and would love for it to be sooner rather than later, but we might not see it till 2021, uh, depending on sort of what the eligibility situation is. Yeah, right. Xavier, uh, e- even if Brooks isn't eligible this year, great haul for oh, PCU. I mean, this kid's a freakish athlete. He's going to come right in there and – they're going to just probably have him run like a chicken with his head cut off. Just go follow the ball. Um, you know, I think he's, you know, he should – I don't think he'll get away from it. I don't see any reason as to why he'd get one. Um, however, I didn't see JT Daniels getting one either, and I was wrong about that. Yeah, I, we never know. Yeah, yeah. so I, I think at this moment, you know, they could cite COVID-19 as a reason for them, and I don't see anybody in the NCAA being like, nah. You guys can't cite that as a reason to get a waiver, but these kids know who to, who to hire as a lawyer to get this done. And if they absolutely want it to happen, then we've seen it happen in a multitude of different cases. I think for J.D. Spillman, this is a personnel change. He's going to go to a wide open offense that's going to figure out a way to use him at his strength. Um, you know, I think, you know, this is a huge loss for Nebraska, as that was A.J. Martinez's guy. Uh, you know, I think yeah. that he – you know, that has to put a big damper on him as far as his continuity with the rest of his receivers as well. He's not going to be able to look out to his right side and see him anymore as a guy he could just go to in a pinch. Uh, but this is a good pickup for TCU. Uh, this should help out a guy like Duggan who's going into his sophomore year to have an experienced wide receiver to help him out with some of uh, just in game. When you have a receiver who's played a bunch in his career, he's able to come back to the huddle and tell a quarterback like, hey, throw it a little bit earlier. Come a little bit later. I see the safety creeping over. There's things that uh, an older guy at the receiver position can help a younger guy out as he's trying to progress in college football. Yeah, uh, just great, great haul for TCU. Uh, mm-hmm. Kind of surprising that they got, you know, their two biggest transfers in one week here, but uh, really, really great haul. But doesn't TCU always bring in like five Oops. stars that are just like how? Like, what do you? Have? <laughs> like, why, what is it about TCU that's been able to bring in like? Top transfer talent in like the last four to five years. Nick, this had, guy here is, success, yeah. This but, guy here disrespecting the Pac-12 <laughs> and now the Big 12 today. Do you only respect the SEC? Here? Come on. I was only disrespecting TCU. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I guess that's fair. But, well, one, but one thing with them, I mean, it, we, we talked in, in the past about how SMU uh, has been able to, to use the transfer portal and bring guys back to – Dallas, who are from that area, TCU being in Fort Worth, just down the road, perhaps there's a little bit of that. I mean, Brooks is, is, I believe, from that area. So, you know, guys that for whatever reason, it doesn't work out where they where they go. And and sometimes it's just, you know, TCU is has had some success. I I forget individual names. My mind just sort of goes blank after a year or two. But, you know, I, I just sort of forget uh, but I know they had a, a linebacker from Northern Illinois a, a few years ago who was uh, like an all Mac standout, big time, you know, uh, very productive type guy, transfers to TCU. And, and they've had a, a few guys that, that have sort of, you know, gone up in competition and, and landed at TCU. And I, I believe they've had a couple of guys, uh, you know, things didn't work out elsewhere. So maybe they transferred a little closer home or, or just for whatever reason. TCU seemed yeah, like, it seems a, like a they've fit. had some guys transfer out too. You know? Yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah. So it's it's almost like a revolving door there. They're kind of uh, using it to get guys in and move guys out. So right, I think they're just ahead of the curve as far as, uh, you know, using the transfer portal probably. Yeah, yeah. Most of these teams already have been. So, uh, but Texas Tech, 
uh, linebacker Xavier uh, Xavier Benson, uh, Xavier Benson probably start twelve games <laughs> as a freshman. I do in twenty nineteen is uh, taking a leave of absence from football to focus on his mental health. And whenever you see stuff like this, you know football can go on the back burner. Mm-hmm. If this guy has had multiple concussions or whatever the uh, you know whatever the reason, it's always good to get recentered, refocused, and if you're good to go, then come back then, you know, have all of this stuff hanging over your head when you already have a black cloud. So, you know, uh, always good to see a guy take a step back because, you know, he's getting his ducks in a row. Yeah. Um, I stopped playing football to, to, to secure my mental health. I'd had five concussions in two seasons. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was. And I was just like, I want to be able to talk at 45. So I'm just right. gonna stop playing at this point. Um, I was like, I'm five eight. I was a buck sixty five playing college football, and my lifetime in college football was short. And I knew I only had two years left, anyways. There probably was no post college opportunity that I was going to seek, anyways. So I was like, let me just protect the cranium and and, and you know stop playing yeah. the game. So anytime a guy does this, it's it's all for the for the best for the player. And so I I absolutely commend it. Yeah, it, it's it's one of those things that you're just, you know, maybe it sucks to see as far as depth or, you know, his potential and all that stuff go. But, you know, if a guy is stepping away, especially a scholarship level athlete is, is stepping away from something like that, you know, you know, he's got stuff to straighten out. So sure. good on him. Straighten it out and come back, uh, you know, whenever you possibly can, if you want to Utah State, though. Uh, they were working at that that portal as well this weekend because they added Utah quarterback, former Utah quarterback now, Jason Shelley and uh, Devontae Henry Cole as grad transfers. And they just, uh, you know, we talked about this a little bit on the ITL CFF pod, Nick, where for whatever reason, Utah State seems to get everybody that has cast off from Utah. Like they just go from Utah to Utah State. It's got to be <laughs> one of the biggest in transfer um, you know, schools, uh, in-state uh, transfer schools that there is. Uh, but, uh, you know, these are a couple of pretty good hauls for Utah State. Yeah, you would think that, I mean, now especially because uh, uh, Henry Columbia, who was basically penciled in to be the replacement for Jordan Love at, at quarterback, uh, after Shelley came in, he announced that he was transferring to Texas Tech, so uh, going to reunite with with Matt Wells there. Uh, so you would think that means this basically is Shelley's job to lose, which is also somewhat interesting because Shelley had moved briefly to safety when he was at Utah, and, and so uh, this is a, a situation. Obviously, it, it sounds like he's going to get a lot of playing time. Probably his job to lose now. The the other two guys. Uh, that are maybe you know in the mix or at least listed on our, our depth chart have some very limited experience. Andrew Peasley's the only other guy uh, who's who's played and he's played in four games so far. So uh, it seems like Shelley is is you know th- this is probably his job. Henry Cole pretty interesting. He had transferred from Utah to BYU, which also happens a little more often than than you might expect, but uh, ends up deciding, hey, maybe that's not the, the right fit, goes to, to Utah State, which there is a, a little bit of a connection. Gary Anderson, who's back at Utah State as the head coach, had been at Utah, I believe, what, two years ago now as a, an assistant on that staff after uh, he 
resigned from Oregon State prior to that as, as the head coach there. So they're, you know, familiar with, with one another. And I'm sure that had a, a little bit to do with uh, guys that ended up there last year. Riley Burt, the running back, was, was I believe, originally at, at Utah. And there might have been uh, – uh, what COC Mariner too, right? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe, I mean, maybe you're not going to go through that. them all, right? Caleb Brett, yeah. It's <laughs> going to be one, half so. the roster for real. Right. <laughs> right. So, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, you got two guys that have experience playing in the PAC 12 and, and we're pretty talented guys and to be able to pencil a man, maybe into the starting lineup, you know, Henry Cole, Devonta Henry Cole is probably going to, uh, in my estimation, maybe split carries with Jalen Warren, but, who knows? So uh, interesting move for sure. And, and definitely, you know, two positions that factor in fairly heavily to, to our rating. So had to uh, make sure everything was adjusted and up to date for, for Utah State there because those guys are going to have an impact. How yeah, much I impact? mean, yeah, go, uh, go ahead, Xavier. A little bit. Uh, so Columbia. It has a pretty similar rating to Shelley, but, okay. but Shelley's a few points higher. So not a not a huge change, but it, it bumped him up a, a few percentage points. Maybe, you know, as far as win percentage in, in specific games, uh, two or three percentage points. So not, not huge, but over the course of, uh, what, 10 games or 12 games, however many, that's a third of a win or a little bit more. So it, it'll, it'll have an impact. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's always good to bring in top-tier talent. I didn't know it was that much of a revolving door. Obviously, you guys are, have been tapped into college football a lot longer than I have. But I didn't know Utah had a revolving door like that as far as BYU, Utah, Utah State. Seemed like was that picked up. <laughs> yeah, like in recent up the years. last two years, okay. yeah. two, two or three years specifically. But it, it's always like if I see a Utah guy moving out, I always think of him in a Utah State uniform like immediately. Mm-hmm. So. Okay, cool. Uh, it, it's just one of those things. And then the last uh, piece of, of big news that we have here, Nick, is uh, Tony Poljan, who is an all-Mac tight end, uh, obviously a, a guy that moved from quarterback to tight end and has made his mark at CMU. Uh, we talked a little bit this, about this again on the ITLCFF podcast, but this is clearly a draft move, you know, like Xavier mentioned earlier. Uh, this is a move to get his... his um, get him on more eyes uh, going to the ACC in Virginia. So it's a, a good spot for him to transfer. And I like, you know, a tight end transferring to a first-year starter, whether it's going to be Brennan Armstrong or um, Keon Thompson. One of those two, you know, tight end can usually be a nice safety blanket for a young quarterback. So uh, that's it, it lo- looks like a really good move for him. Yeah, I think so. I mean, should pencil him in to start immediately. Uh, he's a, a very, very talented guy, 6'7", 240 in, in that range, has a quarterback background. So, you know, he's probably pretty smart, going to be able to, to pick up the offense quickly. Uh, and this is a guy that, you know, just this week was listed in Bruce Feldman's freaks list. So uh, somebody that, that's extremely athletic, has a, a pro career ahead of him. And, and this is, uh, as Amir has mentioned uh, of course, already an opportunity for him to uh, be on a, a bit bigger stage and, and perhaps uh, polish his resume up a little bit more uh, to, to increase his uh, his draft stuff. Yeah, and he's going to an absolutely terrible conference. Good on you for heading to the ACC. You're going to get plenty of touches, and I guarantee you, you should have the opportunity to bolster your stat line. I mean, hey, kids watch college football, and they should, and he said – 
I'm at Central Michigan. I can go play in the ACC. You're absolutely right. You absolutely can. So go do it and go have an amazing season at UVA, son. That's three conferences that uh, Xavier okay, has two. insulted. I only <laughs> okay, two and TCU, who we're going to be talking about later. And uh, you got any uh, hate to send towards the Big Ten or SEC or anyone else? I mean, I think Jeez. I was not enough for the Big Ten. Uh, oh, well, that's true. I, I should I should not have asked. You that. Uh, the uh, other uh, couple pieces of news here before we move into talking about uh, the Big Twelve and Conference USA here. Uh, uh, West Virginia defensive coordinator Vic Caning announced that he would not return following an investigation. The comments made by a Mountaineers player. Uh, which we discussed a couple weeks ago. So they will likely promote someone to fill him in, but Caning is out. Uh, due to the decision, CIF, uh, to move 2020 fall high school football uh, season back uh, to the spring, uh, several 2020, uh, 2021 recruits have been reclassified, and several states have moved back their fall sports schedules. The governor of New Mexico has asked the University of New Mexico and New Mexico State to cancel their seasons and neither has done so uh, so far. So uh, th these are big things to keep an eye on. Uh, Toledo head coach Jason Candle announced he tested positive for COVID-19, and he is the first FBS head coach to do so so far. And um, just the protocol for this is the NCAA will allow coaching staffs to replace coaches who are forced to quarantine. So they'll be able to just move someone up to head coach uh, while he is in quarantine. Uh, John Wilner reported this week, the Pac-12 is considering an aggressive conference-only schedule with a September 19th start, and uh, three different dates are being bandied about for their championship game. But that would be that would get us to um, that would get us to start on time, uh, pretty much for them. So we'll see. The schedule would include ten games, one versus each division opponent, and five uh, cross-division matchups. And that would be over 14 weeks with two bye weeks. So this is the only type of schedule that we've seen kind of listed so far. So that's very interesting. And then according to Brett McMurphy, the ACC's top scheduling model is 10 league games plus one non-conference. And that includes Notre Dame. Shocking. So that's the, the model here. But we don't have we, we don't have what when a start date would be and bye weeks and all that stuff. It's not as detailed as the Pac-12. And then Michigan State found that a staff member and one student athlete tested positive. So all members of the football team will quarantine or isolate uh, for a 14-day uh, period. So that's it's kind of strange that two people, uh, you know, popped and now they're quarantining everyone. But there's just, you know, because you can't force these guys like the NBA has everybody wearing wristbands and all that stuff. So you can see where, where everyone goes and who they've come in contact with. You can't do that with college athletes. So it's just, okay, you may have contacted with everybody. So yeah. everybody lays off. So a lot of uh, notes here, uh, Nick, but what, what interests you the most, I guess, out of all of this news? Well, from a, a you know, football perspective, the, the Vic Caning, uh, announcement is somewhat interesting. He had a, a fairly decent uh, defensive coordinator rating based on uh, sort of really what he did at, at Troy. And they were uh, decent on, on defense last year, West Virginia, certainly better than they were on offense. So that probably haven't made the adjustment quite yet. want to see if they're going to promote uh, either their defensive line 
coach who would be a first-time uh, defensive coordinator, I believe, or they do have uh, Jeff Castile, a longtime defensive coordinator, who uh, has a, a relatively low rating, uh, if memory serves, it, it was hired, I believe, as an analyst, and, and there's thought that maybe he slides into that role and keep everybody else in uh, their spots. But uh, not, a, not a huge surprise, I don't think, that, that uh, he was out, but, you know, uh, hopefully uh, West Virginia will be better for this. We'll, we'll see how it all plays out. The, the sort of, you know, I mean, like you said, we're, we're hitting on a lot of different things here and, and we'll try not to dwell too much on them, but the California decision was particularly interesting because basically within minutes uh, of their, you know, athletic governing body saying, okay, we're pushing, I believe they're pushing it to the spring. Uh, there were, uh, you, you know, two or three, uh, four-star recruits who said, okay, great, I'm going to graduate early and enroll. One, I believe, was uh, headed to Texas A&M. USC might get uh, at least one, maybe maybe more. And, and I saw one specifically from Cal as well. So eventually there'll be a list of, of guys that uh, reclassified because of this. And, and I'll add that into our uh, team profiles. But uh, a you know, pretty interesting thing. Not every high school allows their uh, students to graduate early, but it seems like if, you know, a school does that, uh, that some players are in position that they'll be able to uh, make that decision and, and move on to college early, which is certainly interesting. So something to, to keep an eye on. Uh, this, this Michigan State thing is, is, you know, kind of nuts. It happened right before we sat down to, to start recording. Right. So have a, don't have a whole lot of details quite yet and, and uh, don't know sort of what the, the fallout is. But uh, you're right. This seems like a bit of an, an extreme, you know, to quarantine Overcast. for 14 days. But maybe maybe they've got a reason, you know. Maybe maybe there's something that, that we just haven't learned quite yet. But, you know, that it is – Extreme is not really the word I want to say because, you know, perhaps it's warranted. We don't necessarily know, but it's such a big, it's such a big thing. 14 day quarantine, shut everything down for 14 days that you think, oh, geez, you know, how is this going to, what, you know, I I immediately think about college football as a whole. If this situation where two people, one player, one coach, because like we just saw, you know, said Toledo's got their head coach, uh, announced that it, it tested positive. So, you know, uh, if, if I don't know, there as with everything, there's so many moving parts. There's so many different things that I, I am going to try not to let myself get too pessimistic. But <laughs> you know, this is something that, that we're definitely going to have to watch because uh, if if what seemingly on paper looks like a relatively minor thing. And certainly we're hoping everybody is is okay and and all that, you know, goes without saying, I think. But uh, to, to what seems like on paper a relatively minor thing to have this big of a an impact to say shut it down for 14 days, you know. I, I my mind just starts to spiral a little bit, so I'm gonna try. Yeah, yeah, you're you're spiraling a little bit here. I am, I am, I am. Well, let, was... let's ask Xavier. Xavier, help him out here. Like, uh, I understand the panic uh, because it's not a good look shutting down and isolating an entire school, but 
Uh, I, I don't know. Well, what are your initial thoughts on on all of this with Michigan? Well, people, Michigan just State, wanna, excuse me. people just don't want to look stupid. Like I, you'd rather take the 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 biggest precaution possible preseason that you can to make sure that your team shows up. 110% negative because nobody wants you to be the guy who goes, ah, we can still let the kids go. And it then turns into a full on pandemic in your locker room. So everybody, at least while the, before the season starts, they're going to be allowed to take these um, huge protocols to do this. It's safe than sorry in these situations. Cause nobody wants to be that guy. I think yeah. uh, the only thing that you guys talked about that or didn't hit on, which I think is the biggest news at all of this is that, Notre Dame would be eligible for the ACC championship game. I think that that makes that a very viable ACC championship game now. I mean, Clemson versus Notre Dame is not that bad, you know. <laughs> I, that's a game I'm actually, I actually watch on a Friday night, you know, for the Dr. Pepper ACC championship game. That would be actually kind of cool. Um, and I think this is just, you know, I, I said it in last week's episode, Notre Dame. We're, yeah. we're just pushing you into the conference. Day by day, uh, and I think that's I think that's huge news. So yeah, uh, I mean, it, and it's funny that that's that's the biggest thing that you bring up here is uh, after disrespecting so many teams, now respect to Notre Dame, and I just <laughs> their fan base is too big. I have to Xavier, what are you doing today? Like, <laughs> their their fan base you... is too large. I can't. Notre Dame has its own Twitter that's bigger than like most G five conferences. I don't need that kind of, you know I, I don't need that on my plate right now. No. I think we found out that Xavier's got a little bit more energy on Friday afternoon than he does. I know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Did you get to sleep in today or something? What happened? So. I work Wednesday morning. So that's, uh, that's okay. what it is. Tired from work. That's exactly what it is. But uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of the stuff, you know, it's unfortunate that uh, Jason Candle uh, tested positive. But once again, like Nick just said, it's kind of weird that the head coach who should be in the most contact with most of the team uh, is the only guy quarantining in that situation. Whereas Michigan state had a coach and one player. And so it's the whole team. I think it is like Xavier said a little bit too, where just nobody wants to look stupid. You know, I, I think that it, it's, it's probably overkill. Now, like Nick said, we don't have all the information because this did happen about five to 10 minutes right before we jumped on here. Um, or we heard about it five to 10 minutes before we jumped on here. So yeah, I'm trying um, to scroll through and, yeah. and learn more as we talk. And I don't, I mean, who knows? What if it was the strength coach, you know, that's right, the guy right. who's having everybody uh, who's having contact with everybody right now. So right. Exactly. And it I don't could know. Be, we'll find out more. Your listeners will probably, if it's a know center, more. you know, if it's a center who uh, they were doing practices and he's snapping the ball and then he's touching it, the quarterback is touching it. And then everybody else is touching the ball. Plus he's touching the defensive lineman and the offensive lineman like that would make sense. You know what I mean? But unless it's that situation, you know, if it's some cornerback or something, uh, if it was like Xavier, then not many people would care. So he's uh, light enough to not want to hit anyone anyway. So wow. <laughs> uh, we're digging. And we're he's, digging. And he's, he's uh, not, he's not touching very many plates in the weight room either. Right? That's right. That's because right. If it's a lineman, they're just packing yeah. plates. Yeah, on, exactly. So. Not getting too many up anyway. <laughs> so. with the I'll have you know. <laughs> yeah, being one of the four people to spot the linebackers doesn't mean you were working with the linebackers out here. I mean, come on. You're throwing softballs in. What am I supposed to do? Uh, you're lobbing these right over the heart of the plate. I can't not knock them out. Come on. I out over 400 pounds on the squat. <laughs> okay. okay. All right. Congratulations. Uh, 
Yeah, <laughs> but but uh, th- this news, yeah, I mean, uh, we're gonna get, we're gonna hear more about mm-hmm. Wash uh, about uh, Michigan State. That's yeah. for sure. We're gonna we're gonna find out something uh, probably today and go. Okay, now it makes sense. Or hey, look, we're just doing really restrictive precautions right now uh, to make sure. But even you know. And I know it's difficult with the pros being so different and the players getting paid and everything, but we're getting positive COVID tests every day from baseball and they're not shutting the thing down. So, um, you know, Juan Soto, one of the biggest players in the league, uh, popped the other day, both of the, uh, the number one and number two catcher for, uh, the Braves did today. The Marlins catcher did today too, because I drafted that dude in three leagues. So that's really annoying. Uh, but I mean, it's happening to a lot of people. So it, it feels like there's just more involved in this Michigan State story. But uh, let's move past Michigan State and get to the Big 12 so Xavier can't insult any more different conferences except the Big 12 and Conference USA here. So, uh, Nick, I'll let you kind of uh, reintroduce what we're doing in these sections. And also, I mean, we have favorite twin and town edges and win predictions as far as the old schedule. And we're not going to be able to change that stuff until we get the new schedule. So go ahead and uh, just explain what we have here. Yeah. So if you if you listen to our preview episodes uh, prior to this, it, it'll uh, I'm sure I'll sound uh, very familiar. But we, we were talking a lot about you know what games is the team favored to win, what talent edges uh, do they have based on our numbers, and then we do a projected wins both overall and, and within the conference by adding up the uh, individual winning percentages uh, for each game. I, I did go through and, and adjusted uh, based on the schedule that we have as of now. So there are six teams in the uh, Big 12 that have lost at least one game. A couple have lost two. Uh, a handful in Conference USA have, have lost games so far. So uh, before we were saying, okay, how does this compare over or under to the Vegas win total? That isn't really applicable anymore. Uh, they, they've pulled those down, uh, really had, had done that prior, but, uh, now that we have some actual, you know, schedule changes, uh, it's not really something that unfortunately we're, we're going to be able to refer to for every team moving on, but we'll still give it for reference on, on, uh, sort of a, a starting point. But, uh, so everything that, that we will refer to here is based on as of January 24th at 5 p.m. Eastern, you know, these are this team's scheduled to play 11 games. This is 10 and whatnot. This is all going to change. But, uh, you know, as, as a starting point, at least, we'll uh, be able to go through some of these teams and, and uh, you know, see who how they stack up according to our numbers, because things are, are somewhat interesting in, in the Big 12. There's a there's a there's a race towards the, the top of the uh, power ratings here. I expect both of you to, uh, you know, do be the right honest. thing here. We're going to be uh, honest. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> do, do the right thing, I said. Don't be honest to me. So, uh, But uh, we'll start out in the Big 12, and the number one ranked team is Oklahoma. They're ranked seven overall, a 91.29 team strength rating, talent edges in uh, 10 of 12 games. Projected wins were just over 10, so we had them at 10 and 2. And the uh, Vegas Insider win total, which, like, Nick just said all these have been pulled down, so we'll get new win total soon. But just uh, you know, operating off of that original uh, twelve game schedule, they were projected to win uh, ten games. 
So I know what one of their losses most likely would have been. But uh, Nick, your thoughts on Oklahoma for this season? Unbiased. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I think it's it's pretty clear as far as my opinion goes, and, and really also as far as our numbers go. Oklahoma is still the team to beat in in the Big Twelve. They are uh, the you know even with changeover at the quarterback position and with Spencer Rattler coming in uh, first time in a long time, they they have a, a quarterback that really doesn't have very much playing experience, but, you know, he's a five-star type guy, got his feet wet in three games last year, and I wouldn't be at all surprised if if he puts up similar numbers, maybe, you know, not as many rushing yards as, as Jalen Hurts or, or uh, Kyler Murray had the last couple of years, but this system so far, what Lincoln Riley's been able to do on the offensive side of the ball, Oklahoma is going to put up massive offensive numbers. We, we can pretty much expect that. Uh, needs a, a, you know, the receiving core needs somebody to, to step up there. They're going to have to replace CD lamb, of course, uh, first round draft pick. And, you know, they're, they're missing Trey Sermon as, as depth at the running back position off to Ohio state. We talked about a, a couple of weeks ago, Kennedy Brooks, in my opinion, is, is one of the best running backs really in all of college football. He's a two-time thousand yard rusher already. Uh, somebody that probably is going to see his workload increase with uh, a redshirt freshman at, at quarterback with so much change at the receiver position and with one of the best offensive lines in, in college football uh, as well. Creed Humphrey was my pick for uh, our all American team at, at center uh, Adrian Ely at, at tackles and all conference type guy. And, and, you know, they're, five returning starters, uh, 88 career starts among them. So uh, offensively, you know, they're going to be fine. Charleston Rambo, Theo Weiss, uh, transfer Obi Obialo from Marshall. Uh, somebody is, is going to step up and, and be able to uh, put up some big numbers as a receiver. Maybe a true freshman steps up. They've got a couple of, uh, you know, guys that were uh, rated in, in the 90s. And, and so they'll, they'll have options. The question is, you know, defensively. And, and this time last year, we we're talking about, you know, Oklahoma really did rank really highly in all of our roster strength on, on numbers on the defensive side. Uh, they still have a top 10 linebacker unit, according to our numbers. And, mm-hmm. and some of that has to do with Caleb Kelly coming back from missing a large portion of last season due to injury. And they also had some injuries in, in the secondary, which is a real veteran unit. I'm a little bit concerned about the defensive line. Ronnie Perkins is excellent, could be one of the top pass rushers in college football, but it, it's looking like he's going to be suspended the first five games. He missed uh, the playoff game due to a suspension. Uh, so unless something changes there, they're going to be pretty young. I mean, LaRon Stokes is, is uh, experienced and talented. Jalen Redman uh, did some good things as a freshman last year, put up four production points according to our numbers. So they, they certainly have – talent to build upon and, and hopefully the defense if you're an Oklahoma fan will take another step forward in Alex Grinch's second year as, as defensive coordinator but even with all those questions I think it's pretty clear I mean they've got about a 10 team cushion between uh, them and, and the, the second rated team on our list as far as our uh, power rankings go in the conference so Oklahoma's the team to beat they certainly you know are not necessarily that we expect them to run through unscathed. Texas always is, is a tough opponent. Oklahoma State this year, as we'll get to, is a legitimate contender. 
you know, TCU is going to be tough. Iowa State's going to be tough. So I would not be at all surprised if, if they trip up uh, once, maybe even twice in conference play. And, and as we've talked about before, Tennessee, I think, is a team that's on the rise. So if that game happens on September 12th, going to be a tough test as well. So Oklahoma, I think 10 wins as the schedule sits sounds right. And, and I wouldn't be at all surprised if they get to 11. So I would be tempted if we were doing it to, to lean to the over. But, uh, you know, with so much going on and with so much turnover uh, on the offensive side of the ball at quarterback and receiver makes me a, a little bit nervous to rely on them to get back to the playoff. I, I think 10 and two sounds about right. Uh, Xavier, I kind of blacked out uh, when uh, Nick was talking about Oklahoma there and all the positive words and everything. But uh, you've been fairly negative today. So. <laughs> Let's hear it. Come on. What do you got on Oklahoma? You're not going to like me then. Um, oh. <laughs> I got. I, I side a lot with Nick here. I think that this is going to be a team that is going to sit on its offense. And it's Oklahoma. Since when have they ever relied on their defense to play well for 12 games? Maybe like four and a half. You know, I think that with this Oklahoma team, as far as their defensive woes and worries are concerned – we shouldn't worry too much. Uh, when it comes down to their schedule, one game and one game only is the game that I think they should worry about. Yes, Oklahoma State is a game that you have to worry about simply because of what it is in the year. Being so late in the year, being Bedlam, being that is going to be always a difficult game. However, if there's no fans at Bedlam, then I think it adds to Oklahoma's ability to, to play football against Oklahoma State. Uh, the only game they should be worried about is Texas because that's the only team, in my opinion, that talent-wise can go neck or neck with them. Um, when it comes to Spencer Rattler, he's going to have a tough time at trying to figure out who his number one is going to be. Uh, this is not a guy who's coming in like Jalen Hurts or Kyler Murray with a number one receiver already there. You know, uh, they had Hollywood Brown and then CeeDee Lamb that were, I mean, you came into the team and you already knew who you were throwing the ball to. This time he gets to kind of pick and choose who that guy is going to be. They would, and would that, have had it if Hazelwood would have come in healthy, but right. he tore up his knees. So. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be a huge loss for them. You know, Rambo's a good receiver, but what is he like as the number one? Being the second and third guy at, at the receiver position is so much easier than when you're having to be the most relied on player on the offensive side of the ball when it comes to catching the football. Uh, as far as So they're going to lean on their running game. I think they're going to lean very, hev- uh, very um, heavy on Kennedy Brooks and hoping that he can start off hot and keep it going. Uh, you know, and they're probably going to try to run him into the ground until Spencer Rattler finds his footing. It's unfortunate, and, and like Nick said, if they do go to an only conference schedule, that helps them out more, in my opinion, because it's not easy to play. And I know I, I am weird today. It's not easy to play Tennessee early on in the season, uh, especially with a young quarterback. It's just not a game you want against a team that's also very talented. Uh, but I'm going to go over. I think they go 11 and 11 and one. And I think that they have an opportunity to make the playoffs. Um, I think that anything less than 10 and two would be a bad season for Oklahoma. That's just. That's their standard now. That's what I expect from them. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and uh, praise Oklahoma. I'm not going to heap praise on them. But obviously, Oklahoma, one of the best teams in the country, always a threat to uh, make make it through their schedule unscathed and make the playoffs. So uh, none of that would shock me this year. I do feel like just with a new quarterback coming in, and a, you know, at least last year with Jalen Hurts, Jalen Hurts was – not only experienced, but immensely mm-hmm. experienced, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, uh, playoffs, national title games, all that kind of stuff. Now you go to a, 
you know, a first year starter that has had barely any playing time at all. He came in a couple times at garbage time last season. I would say that because of that, they're more vulnerable to lose than they have been in the past. But Spencer Rattler can make his presence felt in the first three or four games, and they'll just pick up right where they left off with Jalen Hurts, mm-hmm. and no one would be surprised. So, uh, you know, Oklahoma, for all the stuff that I say, and of course, all, all of that, um, a very, very good squad. Now, the actual best squad in the Pac-12 uh, is ranked two here by Nick for some reason. I don't know why, uh, but they are ranked 15 overall. It's my Texas Longhorns, only favored in nine of 12 games, so had them going seven and two. But talent edges, and this is Texas's problem, uh, in every single game. But uh, Texas is going to have a talent edge against most teams in most formats. I think maybe three or four teams they wouldn't hold uh, a talent edge favor in. So um, you, you're not going to see that from a lot of teams. But uh, you know, edge. We predicted them going eight and four. Uh, their Vegas insider win total was nine. So, um, I mean, these are obviously all terrible predictions because Longhorns are going to go undefeated, clearly, Nick. But, uh, you know, with all jokes aside, the talent's there, the experience of quarterback is there, and Oklahoma seems to be vulnerable with the first-year starter. So it does stack up, and now they don't have to play LSU, even though they didn't have the talent edge in that game this season. So, um, you know... It, uh, it seems like a good year for Texas to take advantage of some of the things uh, going on with the other schools. Yeah, absolutely. And, and if we were you know, asked to build a list of, of what team could have a rise similar to LSU last year, Texas probably would be the, the team I would write down first. Uh, maybe USC, but Texas would, be, would absolutely be – in the mix there. And part of it is that talent edge. And, and, you know, uh, if, if you're new listening to us, maybe you, you don't know what that means exactly, but we've gone through and, and based on our individual player ratings, which are based on a player's talent uh, from a, a recruiting rating standpoint, adjusted for experience and career production. And then we focus on, you know, the starters specifically get a, a weighted in their hire. So, you know, when, when going player by player, unit by unit, Texas has an edge uh, overall against every opponent it plays, not only, you know, just as a, a team as a whole, but they have a talent edge against every opponent offensively, against their opponent's defense. They have a talent edge against every opponent uh, defensively against that offense. So uh, I haven't gone through to, to see exactly, you know, how many teams fit that, but I would be surprised if, Anybody but Clemson and you know, Alabama were were in the mix there. I mean that that's you know top three level talent, and, and that's really where uh, they rank as far as I love our, this talk. our talent metrics. So Texas has they have the talent to compete. They've got a you know four year starter at quarterback. He's he's a, a maximum rated player according to our numbers. They you know if healthy which was a concern last year. Running back have a lot of options. Receivers, it's a little bit of an issue because they don't have a ton of experience coming back. But Brandon Eagles is uh, the, the total package as far as size and speed. Uh, he 
you know, had some big plays last year, is capable of taking that number one spot. Jake Smith in the slot looks like a, a real natural transition maybe from the role that we saw Devin Duvernay play last year. Tariq Black, somebody that at Michigan was underutilized, perhaps also had some injury concerns, but maybe he, you know, change of scenery works out perfectly well. So I, I feel pretty good about you know, the receiving core. And then Malcolm Epps is actually one of the players I'm about as excited about as any in college football. He compares, I think, very favorably to Cal Pitts at, at Florida, who was my top tight end in the country, the most talented, most, you know, athletic tight end, I think. And Malcolm Epps is, is moving to that position full time. He's got it 6'6", 245, is, you know, has a receiver athleticism, came in as a receiver. So uh, I think that he could certainly be a, a tremendous weapon. And then, you know, at, at the offensive line, they've got Sam Cosby, who's a, uh, an all-conference type guy, uh, possibly first-round pick material. They've got some other experience on, on the unit there as well. And defensively, was a struggle last year, obviously. They moved on from Todd Orlando, didn't play particularly well. Tackling was an issue. Uh, their defensive team performance rating was basically nationally average last year. Uh, and, you know, as far as a, a Power Five conference uh, team goes, you, you expect that to be, or, or excuse me, they were, they were really quite disappointing. Uh, so that factors in a little bit. That rating is, is partly why they're down a little bit. They went to Chris Ash, former Rutgers head coach, who his rating as a defensive coordinator uh, took a, a big hit uh, in part due to that, that time at Rutgers. So, you know, that maybe waters their rating down just a little bit as far as maybe why they're 15th instead of in that top 10 uh, range based on the talent. So uh, there are a lot of factors that, that go in based on what we saw last year, based on the new coaching makeup. Uh, but this is a team that hopefully will be healthier. Hopefully the scheme will be simplified a little bit. That's something I've, I've read multiple times this offseason under Ash. Hopefully they're going to simplify things, you know, rely on that talent uh, over scheme perhaps to, to hopefully uh, show improvement there. Joseph Osai is a pass rusher, one of the best in college football. Taquan Graham, Keandre Coburn, solid in the middle. You know, they've got talented linebacker. They've got the depth and talent in the secondary. Uh, it, it looks great on paper if they're able to take a little bit of a step forward uh, and, and stay healthy, which, again, is, is an issue. Uh, then, you know, this team, I think, certainly could compete for the Big 12 title if they get through – you know, with one loss, and I wouldn't be shocked if they uh, get through undefeated. This is a team that can make a run at the college football playoff. It's just sort of when we when we throw all the different numbers that we do uh, into the mix, Texas, for whatever reason, comes up, like you said, eight and four. And, and they do have a lot of toss-ups. Uh, we do have them as an underdog against LSU if that game gets played. Uh, they're a double-digit uh, underdog there. They're about a touchdown underdog to Oklahoma and then they play Oklahoma State in Stillwater at the end of the season that game is a as a toss-up so uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they win any of those three games I wouldn't be surprised if they lose all three and, and then as we'll talk about there are some tough teams uh, lower down the line that, that can jump up and beat somebody on a given week yeah. TCU is always going to be tough you See, know, those are the good. Texas <laughs> so, likes to win all those tough ones and then lose one of those ones. Absolutely. So, you know, drop absolutely. one to TCU or Texas Tech or something. So, yeah, I know I, I've watched them for long enough, but 
Um, you know, uh, Xavier, I, I, I fear to toss it to you here for my Longhorns, but uh, <laughs> go ahead and take that ball and run with it. Texas should go 12 and up, period. Point blank, paint, plain and simple. They have the talent, they have the quarterback play. And Nick, as he typically does, talks me into it. I was worried about the defense. I was worried that they would come out this year and try some over-the-top defense where, you know, they were going to, you know, put too much earnest on making sure they got back to Texas football. You know what coaches love to do. They love to add different terminologies and coin different terms as they come back. We're trying to get more physical, things of that nature. But the fact that they're dumbing it down and allowing the talent to just go out there and play instead of making them confused, I absolutely love it. I think that that – they have one of the better secondaries in football, so they shouldn't be getting toasted on the backside. Joseph Osai is one of the best pass rushers in college football. So at least up front, they have people that can get to the quarterback. The mixture of having a great secondary and somebody who can get to the QB is always good. And their offense, if Brennan Eagles and company comes back, they also added Tariq Black. Remind me, is he eligible to play this year? Yeah. Yeah, he's a grad transfer. Come on. it's it, Texas, it's time for you guys to sit atop the Big 12 for the first time in a while. Come on. I, I they have if it's not this year, it won't be next year because Spencer Rattler will be in year two. It, it, yeah, it, and Texas will be on a new quarterback. Exactly. So yeah. Texas, get it right. I, I'm I'm with you. I'm with you. It, it's if you're gonna do it, it's this year. And uh, I mean, you know, I'm not gonna sit here and harp on it and everything, but uh, a lot of injuries last year, but it doesn't matter. Like if you have those injuries, the guys coming in should be able to tackle. And that was the issue last year was really poor tackling. <laughs> And honestly, you know, it's hard to see it getting a whole lot better. You have the players being healthy, so the good guys are going to be back. But it seems, you know, with a lack of practice time and all that stuff, if the season should start somewhat on time, uh, you know, it's it's hard to have confidence in that back end. So I'll say that as a Texas fan, you know, but I do I do expect this team to be better, and I know they're not favorite against LSU, I think they'll beat LSU. Yeah. I wouldn't be shocked. I'm not a fan of If that game is played. Now, I don't think it's – I honestly don't think it's going to get played, but if that game gets played, I expect Texas to win that one, Uh, especially with no crowd or very limited crowd uh, in Death Valley. So, uh, moving down, see see how I did that? Not too long. I didn't dwell. Uh, (laughs) The number three team in the uh, Big 12 here is Oklahoma State, 18th nationally ranked favored to win 10 games so more than texas talent edges in nine of 11 games uh that our project projections have them at eight and three uh and the number here from vegas was really good at eight and a half so nick what are your uh loves and concerns about oklahoma state for this season yeah and that would have been nine and three if the season opener against oregon state hadn't been uh canceled so Oklahoma State, I mean, you're talking about, you know, Texas. This is this is their year. Everything sort of lines up for them to be able to compete this year as far as uh, the personnel and, and everything goes. Oklahoma State is is that maybe even to a, a higher degree because they were able to get Chuba Hubbard coming back, the nation's leading rusher. They were able to uh, bring back Tylen Wallace, who was leading the country in uh, receiving yardage when he went down with an ACL last year. Both of those guys were, able, you know, were eligible for the NFL draft, could have gone, uh, but decided to return to Stillwater. And and there's a lot of experience around them. Spencer Rattler uh, going into his third year, sophomore year, got 10 games as a starter, 
uh, as a redshirt freshman last season. Uh, they've got you know two other starters coming back in the receiving core. They've got two returning starters uh, on the offensive line, and then brought in a grad transfer from uh, West Virginia. Unfortunately, they would have had three returning starters, but uh, as we talked about, I believe last week or, or two weeks ago, left tackle Dylan Galloway uh, was forced to medically retire. But you know, defensively. The experience is there. I mean, they've got three uh, all Big 12 uh, performers on defense, two at linebacker and, and one at safety. All those guys are coming back. I believe it's 10 starters total, uh, according to how we you know, add them up and, and throw in the mix. Calvin Bundage, if, if he is uh, able to come back from a back issue that you know basically cost him all of last season, he's the highest rated player on the defense or, you know, second highest actually behind Colby Harvey Peel, but right, basically the same rating according to our numbers. So uh, if they're able to, to get him back as a contributor at, at the linebacker position, that's certainly going to help probably able to, you know, maybe move him around and, and uh, use him maybe as a situational pass rusher or something like that. If he's not fully up to speed, able to, to get back every down, but he's talented enough, certainly, to, to make an impact. And then they brought in uh, a guy who started, you know, 12 games, played 35 games in the SEC and Christian Holmes to, to probably start uh, at corner opposite Radarius Williams. So this is a team that from an exterior experience standpoint and then some really exciting uh, talent guys as, as well with Hubbard specifically. Tyler Wallace is one of my favorite receivers to watch in, in college football. So everything sort of lined up for this to be the year that Oklahoma State makes a run. And, and their their team profile this year lines up very similarly to what Utah did for us last year. Uh, we had Utah as, uh, you know, a, a top 15 team, which was higher than most this time last year. I know there were a couple of maybe outliers that thought that they really could compete for a playoff spot, but Oklahoma state sort of fits that mold this year. I mean, top 20 in our power ratings for a team that really, as far as just their actual talent numbers go, their recruiting history is what in the thirties, maybe. Uh, so to, to push into that top 20 is, is pretty uh, uncharted territory for, for most teams that recruit outside of the, the top 25 as far as our numbers go. So that to me is is fairly impressive and especially adding into it that though Spencer Sanders is good, is talented, uh, he still has a, a sub 90 rating as far as our VGR plus goes. Usually a team that's going to be in the top 20 is going to have, you know, a, a 90, 95, 100 even type uh, quarterback. So, you know, Everything sort of lines up in, in my mind to, to make me think that Oklahoma State is a legitimate contender in the Big 12. I, I don't think that they're going to be able to go through undefeated. I'm, I'm hesitant to say they would even be able to go through with one loss just based on there's a lot of parity sort of in the, the middle here. Uh, but I wouldn't be at all surprised if they beat Oklahoma. I wouldn't be at all surprised if they beat Texas. Uh, it's just, are they going to be able to, to navigate, you know, the entire path to get to the Big 12 championship game and, and win it? Uh, I think they certainly could if they're able to slide in as, you know, that number two team with two, maybe even three losses. Uh, they could pull an upset in, in the uh, championship game and, and win the conference title for sure. I just don't know if, if the path is there uh, to get into the college football playoff because they're going up against 
you know, two really, really good teams in, in Texas and Oklahoma. And then they're going to have to face one of those teams probably a second time if they're able to get to the Big 12 championship game. So from a depth perspective, I, I think that's going to play a little bit of an issue with this being such a weird year. I think that's going to play a little bit of an issue. Uh, but I certainly think that that Oklahoma State uh, and we've talked plenty about the off the field concerns. Yeah. As long as that doesn't become a, a you know, a, thing. A, a huge factor that carries on to the field. Uh, I think, you know, as far as our numbers go and as far as sort of the high end talent that they've got, uh, this is definitely a team that could make a run. Yeah. Xavier, your thoughts, obviously, like Nick just mentioned, it's been up and down for sure mm-hmm. uh, for this squad recently. So uh, what do you think about Oklahoma state? And I think these are the three teams that can realistically win. Yeah the big 12 or Oklahoma, Oklahoma state and Texas. And that's probably it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I love Oklahoma state, but I also can't, I don't want to pick them to win the big <laughs> because there's so many ifs. They, they just are, you know, if Spencer comes back to, to, to playing at the, the playing at a top form, if Tylen Wallace hasn't lost a step after his ACL injury, you know, if the transfer at cornerback uh, Christian Holmes is actually good enough to play opposite, you know, there's a lot of ifs and very big positions for them that they don't have an answer to. And we haven't even been able to see like in a spring game where like if Tyler Wallace in the spring game went crazy, then it's like, OK, he's back, you know, and, and things of that nature. Uh, it's just too many ifs for me for me to slot them in as like, you know, a, a, a bona fide contender. I think Texas and Oklahoma also are just way too talented. Uh, I think, but if any year to do it, you know, it's crazy enough they could do it this year. Uh, I do like them though. I, I like them to be, you know, one of those teams, the rock in your shoe, that every single game against everybody is gonna, you know, whether you're they're better than them or not, it's gonna come down to the fourth quarter for them to win. Uh, I think I don't think they're gonna be a team that is just is just the third best team. I think they're gonna give Texas and Oklahoma a run for their money, and they may surprise us. You know. It, the last time they won the Big 12 was with who? Was it with Brandon Whedon at quarterback? Yeah, it was like 2011. Is that what it was? Yeah, they went 12 and 1, 2011. Uh, oh, that was, was – I don't know who that was. We'll have to look it up. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, that was post-Whedon. Okay. But, yeah. I mean, I'll look it but up. it's been a while. It's yeah, been a while. it's been a while. I mean, and like I said – Yeah, that was Brandon Whedon. Was it really? Threw for, threw for 4,700 yards, 37 touchdowns. That was his senior year. He was like, what, 32? 29. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah, that that was. For whatever reason, I think probably because Brandon Whedon is so old, it feels like that happened in 2001. You know what I mean? So, well, he should have been playing. <laughs> probably, yeah. Well, yeah, I, I think Oklahoma State just has a little bit too many ifs for us right now. I think in a typical offseason, we'd have those ifs answered already. And right now, I just can't be like, yeah, they're going to be that team to compete at the top. Uh, with Texas and Oklahoma, but they're definitely a team that can com- that can make a make noise. And I don't know how their schedule necessarily lines up. Give me six seconds, but <laughs> you know they do get. Uh, I'm on the wrong team. Never mind. Oh, that's <laughs> no, I am on the right team. I looked at Texas and I was like, I'm on the wrong team. Uh, but no, they do get Oklahoma and Texas. They get Texas at the end of the year. That's great for them. That that makes it to where that could be the game that need that they have to get in. So the Big 12 championship game. Um, and I think that that – At home on a short week, kind of an interesting spot. Yeah, it's, a fr- it's on a Friday night. So I think that, you know, that gives them an opportunity right there with the way that their schedule lines up that allows them to kind of prepare for that game and know that, hey, we win this game, we're all, we're in. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. So. 
I think yeah. Oklahoma State could be the team that keeps the Big 12 out of the playoff this year. Mm-hmm. I think they could ruin either Texas or Oklahoma's chance to, to put a second loss uh, there, whether it's in the championship game or, or the regular season, that, you know, if everybody else gets through unscathed on a shorter schedule and, and whatnot, uh, where everybody else has either an undefeated team or one loss team, I think things are tight enough at the at the top end, and Oklahoma State is is close enough to be a threat to both of those teams, but maybe like Xavier said, not close enough to, to win it all, but they could ruin it. Uh, for one of those top two teams, for sure. I think that's a great point to make, too, because that's, you know, sometimes that's how you get a conference cannibalizing themselves, you know, to not get in is, uh, and we thought we were going to see that possibly with Ohio State and Michigan for a while, but Ohio State has just beat Michigan uh, so many times that we don't see that from them, and, and Ohio State's usually in there. And when Oklahoma beats Texas, they're usually in the playoff as well. Uh, so it, that's kind of, you know, the Pac-12 doesn't necessarily have maybe <laughs> the talent to do it uh, most Look years. Look throwing shade now. And, yeah. Well, uh, not not just the talent or also the talent so even that one of them beats each other. And that's a scenario we could see from the Big 12. And, yes, that is me show, throwing shade. But uh, <laughs> three other teams uh, we, we predict to go either 500 or better. Uh, I guess it's four teams if we want to throw that in, but they are Iowa State ranked fourth, twenty third overall. TCU ranked fifth, thirty one overall. Baylor at six and six ranked sixth, forty two overall. And then um, Kansas State, who we would actually leapfrog Texas Tech for, uh, they were uh, their eighth in the conference, uh, fifty one overall, and uh, they we have them proje- projected to go as uh, six and six. The numbers on these teams. We're six wins for Kansas State, seven and a half for Baylor when we have them winning six. So that seems like an easy bet. TCU, six and a half when we have them winning six. And Iowa State, eight, and we have them winning eight as well. So a nice mix of uh, pretty good squads that have the potential to go 500 here, Nick. Yeah, absolutely. And and I I would say that Iowa State is pretty similar to Oklahoma State as far as maybe that, that team that could ruin somebody else's season. Uh, they only went seven and six last year, but they lost to Iowa by one. They lost to Baylor by two. They lost to Oklahoma State by a touchdown, lost to Oklahoma by one. So this was a team that was in every game during the regular season uh, and, you know, is capable of knocking off some of these contenders we've seen in the past. And, and uh, Iowa State is a very, very experienced team. Brock Purdy uh, coming back, he's, he's going into his – uh, third year as a starter, already has 22 starts under his belt. Brees Hall took control of the running back uh, position last year. Charlie Kohler might be the best tight end in the country, but regardless, he and Chase Allen, both all Big 12 type performers, are, are certainly the top duo in the country. And, and this as a tight end group might be the best in the country. You know, they, they brought in a, a Juco receiver that we all should uh, learn the name of uh, Xavier Hutchinson, uh, who's going to probably slide in as a starter with Tariq Milton and, and Sean Shaw, bring a little bit more to that receiving core. Uh, the offensive line is going to be very, very young. So as long as you know that isn't a major issue, uh, this offense is going to be one of the best in the Big 12. They also have some very, very talented 
guys on defense, Mike Rowe, or excuse me, Mike Rose at, at linebacker, Orion Vance uh, had a huge year last year at linebacker. Greg Eisworth is back at safety, and they have a healthy Jaquan Bailey, who missed a large portion of last year, coming back to that uh, defensive end spot. So uh, they, they've got some high-end talent. They also brought in uh, a grad transfer, Greg Ross, from uh, North Carolina, who's probably going to start in the secondary, help solidify uh, that unit, perhaps make it one of the best uh, in the Big 12 as well. It's a top 30 unit nationally. All, all three levels of the defense are top 30 uh, in our position rating. So Iowa State is, you know, they're a top 25 team according to our numbers. And, and like I said, with Oklahoma State, for a team that doesn't recruit at the high end to actually be a top 25 team is pretty impressive the way we calculate things as far as our power ratings go. So this is a team that absolutely could ruin somebody's day, could ruin somebody's season. Uh, we only have them as underdogs to the you know the big three, Texas, Oklahoma, and, and Oklahoma State. So they're certainly going to be a team to watch. And, and if you think that you know close losses one year translate maybe to close wins the next, this is a team that's certainly capable and in a full schedule of winning 10 games. Hopefully we'll get that game with Iowa rescheduled right now as it stands. They're only playing uh, 11 games. But, you know, the rest of that group that, that you were talking about, TCU, we, we've spoken a little bit already. If Max Duggan takes a step forward, if J.D. Spillen really does uh, come in and, and, you know, they they utilize somebody of his skill set a little bit better maybe than they did Jalen Rager last year. Uh, and, and that secondary, you know, arguably the two top safeties in the country, uh, TCU is going to be a great, you know, uh, another very solid team, maybe great. I almost said might be a stretch, but uh, they're a team that could knock off one of these contending teams for sure. Uh, we've seen TCU bounce back from missing a bowl game and, and go up and compete for a playoff spot before. So again, it wouldn't be a shock if that happens this year. Wouldn't necessarily expect it, but wouldn't be a shock if, if they compete. Baylor was one of my favorite teams in college football last year. Our numbers were, were really, I think, far ahead of, of a lot of other outfits out there calling for them to uh, compete in the Big 12. And, and just sort of week by week, uh, Baylor performed really, really well for us against the spread, which was great. And, and I also uh, enjoyed, you know, watching Matt Rule and, and that team. But they're going to take a huge step back, I think. I mean, this team, like you said, on paper, if you're comparing to that uh, Vegas win total, six wins is going to be tough to get to, yeah. get to six wins. Uh, getting to seven, I think, is is really, really going to be difficult for Baylor. They are starting over on defense. Outside of uh, Terrell Bernard at linebacker, Raleigh Tejada at corner, those are the only two starters coming back. They did add William Bradley King, who's an all-sun belt guy from – uh, Arkansas State, but that's it. I mean, they're, they're defensively, things are going to be a struggle. I mean, Dave Aranda, I'm sure, is going to get that unit whipped into shape pretty quickly, but expect Baylor probably to play a lot of shootouts. If Charlie Brewer can stay healthy, you know, they'll be dangerous, but this is a team, I think, that's just got too many holes to fill uh, to compete anywhere near what they did last year. Kansas State, you know, you mentioned is, is also in that running for, for six wins. That's a little bit of a, you know, our, our numbers just barely round up to six wins. I think five seems about right. I do like Skylar Thompson. I do like Malik Knowles and Joshua Lung, uh, Youngblood is one of the most exciting 
uh, special teams players in the country. Wyatt Hubert might be one of the best defensive ends and, and certainly the Big 12 and could push for, for All-America honors perhaps, but they are the youngest offensive line in college football. No starters returning, two or excuse me, three career starts. So it, it's going to be a bit of an uphill battle, and this is a team that's recruited you know, ninth consistently in the Big 12 uh, throughout its history. I really like Chris Kleiman. Uh, I, I like that this team historically has been able to overperform. I wouldn't be, again, I sound like a broken record, wouldn't be shocked. But if they got to six wins, you know, I could see it. If they get to, to bowl eligibility, I, I could see it. But it's probably going to be a little bit ugly. It's probably going to require them to upset a team or two, which we've seen them do in the past. But from a talent standpoint, a depth standpoint, Kansas State really just doesn't stack up. So I, I don't expect very much out of K-State or Baylor. But the other teams, Iowa State, TCU, you know, they, they could make a push for that second or third spot. And Xavier, that's all the teams that we have potentially going 500 or better here uh, for the rest of the Big 12. Iowa State, TCU, Baylor, and Kansas State. Your thoughts on those squads? Iowa State's a weird one. They're always a team that stays in like seemingly every ballgame. I, I don't ever remember Iowa State being blown out of the water by anybody as of recently. Uh, and, they make, and that makes them very annoying to play against. And in a year where you're having very little time to get ready, having a – quarterback with as much experience as Brock Purdy has is a major plus for them. So I like Iowa State. Um, I think that I don't know. They're not as talented enough as Oklahoma State is for me to put them up in that top tier of the Big 12. But they're also one of those teams that I think doesn't deserve to be called in the middle. Uh, I think they deserve, you know, I think they're a team that can compete with every team in this conference game in and game out. That's just what they've shown. And I think as long as they have Brock Purdy at quarterback, they have an opportunity. Um, TCU, I, <laughs> TCU, with, with the recent transfers that we talked about earlier, I don't know if I trust Max, trust Max Duggan. Uh, this is a guy who went up and down and up and down. And you kind of hope that in his sophomore year he writes the ship. Uh, but nothing points to that, uh, that, you know, he's going to have that continuity with a receiving core or, you know, he knows the offense any better than he did last year. Nothing necessarily points to me saying that. And going into his sophomore year, he's going to be X. And that really worries me for a TCU team that's going to have to play a lot of shootouts to win ballgames. Uh, Baylor's going to stink. I'm sorry. They're not going to be a very good team. Uh, they, they lose their heart and soul in Matt Rule. Uh, it's a big ask. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I, I hope Baylor fans soaked up every single win they got last year because they won't be seeing them a lot this year. Um, and lastly, Kansas State. Now, when I when Scott originally you said like who was voted on or who was uh, going to be a team that's going to either be 500 or better, I was like Kansas State has to be in there. They're a team that somehow every year is able to win six games. I don't know how they do it. Their teams are never talented enough, in my opinion, to get it done, but they do it. And, and I, I think that that may be a culture thing going up there in Manhattan. But I think that they have an opportunity to do that. I think that with the way I've talked about Baylor and TCU not being good enough, I think you have to slot Kansas State in as a team that could possibly win six games next year, uh, if not more. But I think it's just a culture thing. It's kind of how we talked about Iowa when we talked about the Big Ten up until, you know, everything kind of happened. It was like, it's a culture thing. They they claw and scratch out wins that they don't deserve. And They'll do it next year. It'll be boring. It'll be 17 to 10. It'll be, you know, nine to six in some ball games. If they could if they could get it done that way, they're gonna get it done that way. But that's Kansas State. 
Who was that giant ass running back they had a couple years ago? Oh. I can't think of his name. I'm thinking about the quarterback they had. Was it Colin Klein that they had? Who was a yeah. who was a Klein was great? Who yeah. was their quarterback's back? coach now? Oh, great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. For whatever reason, I can't remember the the. Didn't they have a big oh, Alex big? Barnes was there in 2018-2017. Their leading running back rusher in 2016 was Charles Jones. Uh, was also their leader in 2015. And wasn't Barnes a big dude? What wasn't Alex Barnes a big big dude? Uh, Alex I, I, Barnes, two twenty seven. So was he like six foot one? Or six something? one, yeah, six yeah, one, yeah. two twenty five. Yeah, I just remember him being because I went to go see uh, in the Cactus Bowl was Kansas State versus um, oh god, who they play? I can't remember who it was. Kansas State versus maybe I want to say Baylor, probably something. No, that was big. That's two Big Twelve teams. Boise State, maybe it was, but I just remember Barnes being so much bigger. Than uh, than everybody else in, in that so they, game, if I'm remembering the bowl game correctly, they played but, UCLA. And that's okay, Cactus that's what it was. Bowl. Yeah, yeah, Cactus Bowl against UCLA. That's what it was because that was the game that Josh Rosen didn't play. He was fine, yeah. but he just didn't want to play before the draft. That mm. that's exactly what I remember. Uh, and Alex Delton had a huge game there because UCLA was winning the whole first half, and uh, Kansas State came back. But uh, I digress here. The teams that we have projected to go uh, under 500 in the Big 12 here, Nick, uh, Texas Tech, who's rated ahead of Kansas State uh, at 49 and 7 in the conference. West Virginia, uh, 9th and 63rd overall. And Kansas, of course, the only post-100 team here, 10th in the Big 12 and uh, 104 in the nation. Uh, Kansas State, we have them going 2 and 9. West Virginia is 4 and 7 which their number is five and a half. So it looks like that's an easy bet on the under. Kansas also three and a half number, uh, easy to go under on them. And Texas Tech at six, and we have them going four and six. So, you know, I know uh, you always want it's to – it's more fun to gamble on the positive <laughs> to get there. But taking the under on some of these seems like it could pay out, uh, you know, potentially. So what do you think of these three squads that we – we have all going potentially under 500 here, Nick. Yeah, I mean, it, it'll depend on, I guess, what the, the new numbers will be because, unfortunately, all these teams at, at this point have at least one game uh, that's been canceled. Texas Tech, two games that, that we would have had them favored in uh, were canceled against Alabama State. The SWAC, unfortunately, is, is not going to play football this fall, but, uh, hey, maybe in the spring, which will be interesting. But uh, Arizona, of course, uh, they were expected to play uh, but because of the Pac-12 decision. So we had Texas Tech favored in, in both of those games, and the way our numbers would have shaped up if those games were in the mix probably would have put their predicted uh, record at 5-7, and seven, but it would have been very, very close to 6-6. Six and six. So uh, this is a, a team that we've talked about how things sort of lined up for Oklahoma State, for Texas. Texas Tech, they, they don't line up particularly well. Uh, as far as the schedule goes, they play at Oklahoma State, they play at Kansas State, at TCU. So those are, you know, if they're looking to, to move into that sort of second tier in the Big 12, going on the road against teams like that and against Iowa State uh, is difficult. And of course, this year, you know, home field advantage, we've, we've talked about it uh, several weeks now, uh, it might not look the same if, if uh, we do, in fact, get uh, these games in. So, you know, we'll have to make adjustments there. Maybe it does actually work out that, that 
those aren't as tricky of an, an environment because, you know, on the other hand, you do have home games against Texas and Oklahoma. If you're going to pull off a big time upset, you would want, you know, Lubbock on a, on a you know Saturday night with a uh, rabid crowd and, and all of that. So it, it's unfortunate that that because of the current situation, Texas Tech, and, and because of the uh, way the schedule sets up, just not really you know doesn't really work out in their favor as far as when we not run the numbers. But they're a team that's got talent. We, we've said it before. If if they stay healthy and Alan Bowman quarterback. Unfortunately, he's had injury concerns the last couple of years. But if he stays healthy, he's been a very, very productive guy. They've got a lot of different options at receiver. They just need somebody to, to step up. And, you know, they've, they've produced some talented uh, defensive players recently. They had two guys drafted, including a first-rounder in Jordan Brooks. So uh, defensively, it seems that they've taken some steps forward from a talent standpoint, still need to get a little bit better on the field, but uh, Texas Tech is is maybe, you know, a team on the rise, I think. I just think that this year, the schedule and, and sort of the situation, perhaps this is a team that ends up with a, uh, a record that doesn't look very good, but they were a better team on the field. West Virginia, I think, could potentially – you know, have a, a similar setup. I mean, they've, they've got some experience coming back. They had, you know, Austin Kendall started nine games at quarterback, but lost his job to uh, Jared, I believe it's uh, Deggy, Deggy, uh, at the end of the transfer from Bowling Green. Those guys are, are going to compete. It sounds like uh, Deggy is, is uh, you know, got the inside track still based on uh, his starts at the end of last year. And, you know, led them to a couple of wins, including a win that uh, kept TCU out of the bowl game there at the end. Defensively, uh, West Virginia has some talent that that could really make things difficult. The Stills brothers on the defensive line, quite good. They, they've got uh, some some talent and some experience. The linebacker position, you know, they, they had a trio of guys who were expected to be major contributors, if not starters, uh, who were basically out all of last year, Taj Alston at defensive end, uh, Vendarius Cowan, who was a, a transfer from Alabama, an edge rusher and, and uh, linebacker, really highly rated, uh, was out most of last year and also had a, a suspension. And then uh, Dreshawn Miller, who uh, was a, a JUCO transfer expected to potentially start, uh, ended up not playing. But they've added some transfers. Uh, and, and, you know, unfortunately, they just – off the field is a bit of an issue. Like we talked about with Vic Caning, you know, the, the, you wonder sort of how that's going to translate to their growth and, and sort of their performance on the defensive side of the ball. I expect that they will be better on offense. They, they really couldn't have gotten much worse uh, running the football last year, but uh, West Virginia, I, I think, you know, getting to a bowl game uh, would be very difficult. Uh, we're not going to get to see him play Maryland, unfortunately. That's a, a renewal of a, a rivalry there. But, you know, we, we have him favored really only against tech, uh, Kansas, excuse me, uh, in, in the Big 12. So if we move to, to conference only, could be a, a pretty uh, difficult schedule for West Virginia. I, I think, you know, getting to three conference wins probably be pretty difficult. They play a, a toss up against Kansas state. They're within a touchdown of our projected point spread against Texas tech, but that's on the road incredibly long. That's about the longest conference game from a travel distance standpoint. I think there is in college football. Uh, they're, you know, TCU, they're uh, an underdog 
by about a touchdown. Baylor, they're an underdog by five points. So pretty, pretty difficult road. And, and those are really the only ones uh, sort of within striking distance. Kansas, you know, they showed some promise last year. They showed a, a small step forward, I think, under less miles. And I do like uh, the move to, to uh, Brett Denon, an offensive coordinator. Puka Williams has been productive at running back. They've got two receivers I, I think are pretty good, and Andrew Parchment and Steven Robinson, both those guys coming back. But, boy, they are one of the most inexperienced teams in, in the country, and that doesn't really – you know, that that's not good when you're uh, recruiting in the, you know, low, low, low level uh, of Power 5 programs and, and behind a lot of Group of 5 programs. So Kansas is easily the, the least – uh, talented team in the league, and, and they're also, you know, with the exception maybe of Baylor, the least experienced. That's not a good combination. Uh, they, I think, will give uh, Vanderbilt a run as, as again, uh, the worst Power 5 program in the country. Uh, and, uh, I mean, that, that's a lot for these teams that are, are not that great. Uh, <laughs> Xavier, your thoughts on the post 500 teams, potential post 500 teams Nick. all have good talent. Like we're going to about to go to conference USA. Most of these teams are, you know, uh, over most of the teams in conference USA, even though they're all, you know, projected to go under 500. Nick leaves me with very little to say. Sorry. It's very <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you understand how hard it is to back up. Nick. We need to, we need to start going to you first. But with anything, <laughs> how tough because he just comes with all of the facts and the breakdowns. It's awesome. I, 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 I love it. But, geez. Um, so, uh, let's get to it. Um, <laughs> as far as I'm, when it comes to Texas Tech, that's a very weird situation for me because I feel like Texas Tech has had the talent to win six games pretty much every year for the last three or four. But that quarterback situation has not been consistent enough for them to rely on at all. And it's very difficult for, you know, a guy like Alex Bowman to not get reps in in spring and then start right in the fall and have an opportunity to, and try to lead this Texas Tech team. Uh, defensively, they have yet to be great for a while now. But, I mean, they're a Big 12 team. That's kind of obvious. Um, moving on to West Virginia. Kids, this is what happens. This is how you don't capitalize on, like, a couple of good seasons. West Virginia had – the, the Tavon Austin years with Geno Smith and company, and they didn't capitalize on that at all. And this is what it looks like after the capitalize has gone away. After the, the, the hot streak and all that has dissipated, this is what it looks like. You have to start from scratch again. And it's not and, – and West Virginia is going to be one of those teams that I think is going to have to pull themselves up by the bootstraps and figure it out. Uh, and it's, it's rough to see them because I grew up watching West Virginia in the Orange Bowl. There's no way they're getting anywhere near that this year. Um and lastly, the fighting less miles. As much as I would love to bet the over on them, just just you know, throw five dollars on it, see what happens. You know, uh, there's no way it's happening. I looked at their schedule, and the best they could do is beating if they're able to even play Boston College, Boston College, and uh, they play Coastal Carolina. There you go, two wins. That's all I'm giving you, Kansas, and I'm out. <laughs> well, let's do this when we're going to Conference USA here. Let, let's uh, we'll start out with Xavier. I'm going to break it up into teams that are ranked above 100 and teams that are ranked below 100 nationally for conference <laughs> USA. And okay. there's six, there are six teams above 100 
And Xavier, like I said, we're starting with you. So uh, FAU, who we've got going seven and three in their Ve- Vegas Insider total was eight. Very popular team. So tough to bet on that number. Uh, Western Kentucky, uh, second in the East, 74th overall. We got them at seven and four. Seven and a half is their number. That's a difficult one as well. Marshall is uh, 79th nationally, third in the uh, East of Conference USA. Uh, we have them at seven and five. Their number is six. So that would have been, you know, now we're going to have new schedules, but that would have been a, a bettable one, it seems like. On the uh, the west side of the Conference USA, uh, 71 UAB is ranked in first in the West. We got them at eight and three, and their number was eight. Louisiana Tech, we have at 80 and second. We have them at eight and four. Seven and a half is their total. That's a maybe. And then Southern Miss, uh, third and 78 overall, at seven and four and seven is their number. So um, your thoughts on FAU, Western Kentucky, Marshall, UAB, Louisiana Tech, Southern Miss. So six teams, and you get to go ahead of Nick. So <laughs> Uh, you better make this good. I shouldn't have asked for this. Anyways, um, <laughs> starting off with FAU, this has got to be the bona fide favorite to win this conference. Uh, they Taggart cannot mess this up. He, this, there's no way he can do this. This team is far too talented. They're coming in. Chris Robinson returns as quarterback, and he'll probably be, be the the player of the year for Conference USA. They're so talented. It's crazy to think that FAU has gotten this far in such a short span of time, in my opinion, that they've been able to kind of flip Conference USA on its head and become the best team in Conference USA by a large margin. And I think that they have no way, shape, or form to not be the best team here. Uh, Yeah, I I think that above eight wins is easy, in my opinion. I think that they have to win above eight for Taggart to have what would I think many people deem to be a successful year. I think not anything under that, anything around eight, I think even nine wins, I think people would say you let the season slide a little bit because of how much talent they they have. And they've brought in during, uh, throughout the transfer portal. A, a feel-good story that I absolutely love that they're this good at this point. Uh, UAB is a team that we all saw a couple years ago didn't have a program and now is a team that finished nine and three last year. Give me two shakes. Goodness gracious. Where are they? <laughs> I'm, trying to, like, I'm trying to go through the 2020. Oh, there they are. You know, alphabet, alphabet. Nick would have had it all ready to go, Xavier. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah I, you know, when I said it, I was like, I just put myself in the sword. And then you, did it, and then you gave me Conference USA, too. I was like, Ugh. <laughs> I was like, you could have given me any other conference but them. Uh, when it comes to UAB, I think that this is a ball club. That's going to rely heavily on the run game like they did last year. Spencer Brown is their best offensive-rated player uh, by our numbers. I'm going to take Nick's words from him. Um, and I think that this is a team that, once again, should be well above their win total. They went 9-3 and three last year. I think they get to nine wins again on an easy total. The weird thing about Conference USA, and I'm going to go ahead and say this right now, is that G5 is that in conference, they're probably slated to play their games. Their non-conference schedule is always what kind of dictates their record for me. Because obviously, if you play tougher teams at a conference, you're more poised to lose those games versus, you know, if you play cupcakes, one of those. So if you do have a situation where the ACC goes to an only conference or the SEC goes to an only conference, some of these teams are going to have, in my opinion, an ability to win more games in conference than they would overall, depending on their schedule. So I'll go ahead and nip that in the butt right away. Um, As far as Western Kentucky, now this is a team I don't know too much about. I'm not going to be honest with you. I'm going to pass this one to Nick. (laughs) <laughs> All yeah. right. Well, Nick, pick up Western Kentucky. Yeah, I'm gonna lie to Nick. <laughs> yeah well, I mean, just to, to uh, 
go go yeah. quickly through the the top two. I mean, you know, Scott, you brought up a, a really interesting point that I just didn't even it didn't really even dawn on me. But but looking at these two conferences uh, compared to one another, West Virginia would be our second highest rated Conference USA team, and if they hosted FAU, would actually be a favorite over. FAU. So, you know, if, if it's interesting to, to think as we're talking about one power five team and one group of five team that there there could be that big of a difference. And where West Virginia, we expect, you know, miss a bowl, four wins, you know, even if they're playing a, a full schedule, maybe get to five uh, in Conference USA, they would probably be, you know, uh, if not number one, number two among the favorites in the conference. So it's, it's kind of interesting to, to think about that, just sort of, you know, comparing those two, but, you know, Xavier brought up a, a great point about FAU. They have really uh, raised the talent level recently. And, and Lane Kiffin did a great job bringing in uh, not only, you know, transfers, but what was able to uh, unearth some, you know, underrated type guys was able to get more out of uh, guys that, uh, he inherited the, those first couple of years, Devin, Sing Devin Singletary uh, being being one of those. And, and so, you know, they, they have built a very talented roster and over the last, you know, two out of the last three years uh, were able to, you know, position it well enough to, to win uh, the conference. So uh, I think that Willie Taggart certainly is, is starting at a, a an advantage there and, and has one of the best linebackers in conference USA has the best quarterback. I agree with Xavier that Chris Robeson is, is capable of being conference player of the year for sure. Uh, UAB is going to be a, you know, going to be a, a, a an issue though. Uh, UAB has one of the uh, most manageable schedules really in, in college football. I mean, in the non-conference, still on the schedule, uh, New Mexico State and, and South Alabama, both of which are, are ranked low, low in our 100s. Uh, they did, unfortunately, get the, the game canceled against Alabama A&M. But, you know, they, they play Miami, play them on the road uh, on a Thursday night, and we've got it as about a two-touchdown underdog. But UAB, we, we've seen capable uh, of competing against teams that are – you know, quote unquote, more talented. And, and so that wouldn't have been uh, a walk in the park for, for Miami, I don't think. UAB's got a, a defensive line that ranks 30th in the country, uh, which is really, really good for uh, a group of five program, according to, to our numbers. Spencer Brown has fallen off a little bit, had some injury issues last year. But, you know, if he's able to recapture what he was in, in 2018, could be one of the best uh, in Conference USA as well. Austin Watkins, the receiver, is one of the best for sure. And, and I know that a lot of uh, analytics outfits and, and some NFL talent evaluators really like Tyler Johnson at quarterback as well. So if he's able to put it together, uh, this team certainly could, uh, with a full schedule, be a double-digit winning team, could contend with FAU certainly for the conference title, uh, you know, especially given Willie Taggart's first year. Western Kentucky – was a really strange team last year. First year head coach, lost to an FCS program in week one, then turned it around, became one of the best defenses at the group of five level, really one of the best defenses, statistically speaking, uh, in the country. And they bring back a ton, especially on defense. Mm -hmm. uh, D'Angelo Malone is, is one of the most talented uh, defensive players in the conference at the group of five level. I know he's got the, the NFL 
uh, draft guys excited already. Gage Walker apparently was playing on the wrong side of the ball under uh, the previous head coach. Uh, had him as a, a safety, moves to running back, becomes an all-conference type guy. Jakir Pearson wasn't even the go-to receiver because Lucky Jackson was just – they kept feeding him last year, but Jackson is out of eligibility. Pearson was able still to put up uh, all-conference type numbers, and, and you expect that he's going to get a really heavy workload – the offensive line returns four starters, uh, was really quite good, put up a, a, an 84 offensive line performance rating, which uh, is above average nationally uh, and would have ranked in, in the uh, 40s nationally. So, you know, pretty, pretty good unit there uh, as well and, and very experienced coming back. So uh, it's overall a, you know, Western Kentucky, because now that they've got a system in place and a head coach in place. You wonder if it's not necessarily a smooth transition for Willie Taggart. They could compete and, and win the East uh, for sure, and and that's definitely going to be uh, the game, probably the the you know division championship game. Right now, we've got FAU is about a touchdown favorite, and that game is going to be in, in Boca. So uh, give give them an edge there. But Western Kentucky is is. Uh, experienced and talented enough to to win any game on the schedule. Uh, we saw them beat an SEC team handily last year, Arkansas. So you know this this is a good team, and, and Louisville, if they play that game on September twenty sixth, uh, shouldn't take them lightly either. So uh, Western Kentucky is is going to be a problem for any any team that they face. Uh, Southern Miss and Louisiana Tech are always going to compete in the West. UAB, I think, is even though they're only, you know, nine or, or ten spots ahead uh, in our ratings, I think is a pretty clear number one uh, in the division. But Louisiana Tech and Southern Miss are both more than capable of winning. There's just really not much of a difference there as far as talent goes. And, and Louisiana Tech, inexperienced, the quarterback position is a little bit of an issue, but they brought in a grad transfer, uh, Luke Anthony from Abilene Christian, probably going to start. But if not, Aaron Allen got a couple of starts last year uh, when Jamar Smith was suspended, which unfortunately had a, a major impact on Louisiana Tech last year. But Justin Henderson at running back, one of the best in probably the best running back in Conference USA, one of the best at the G5 level, and, you know, is, is going to put up uh, really, really solid numbers, I would expect, especially with the transition to quarterback, that he's going to be fed a lot. And they're young on defense, so I uh, would expect maybe they, they slow down the tempo just a little bit and, and probably feed him uh, maybe even more than he had last year. Southern Miss has a lot of talent at receiver. Mm -hmm. Jalen Adams is a, a, a just really one of the most explosive uh, receivers in the country, quite honestly. And then Tim Jones uh, was an all-conference level performer last year. And that was, you know, those two guys impressed with Quez Watkins, who ended up getting drafted, uh, you know, still on the, on the roster. So uh, th they're going to be in good shape, I think, at that position. Jason Brownlee is a junior college guy who's coming in and, and probably going to start alongside. Uh, so they're going to they're gonna have some weapons for Jack Abraham. Defensively, Southern Miss ranked really pretty well as far as a lot of our metrics uh, go. I mean, they, they uh, posted a, a 32nd overall defensive line 
performance rating last year. Uh, they performed in the top 60 as far as our defensive team performance, which uh, ranked uh, fifth in, in Conference USA. So a solid, you know, not spectacular unit, but but solid. Linebackers are experienced. Secondary is experienced. So, you know, Southern Miss has maybe enough experience spread out, enough talent spread out, uh, not overloaded in, in any one area that uh, they're, they're going to be a solid team capable, uh, certainly, of, of competing for the Western Division, uh, even though UAB, I think, is a, a pretty – uh, clear number one, Southern Miss is, is definitely capable of challenging. Marshall, things have changed a little bit for them in, in recent weeks. We talked last week that Isaiah Green, who started 22 games, has transferred, and that puts their quarterback position in a, a really tough spot. They now rank 127th uh, at the quarterback position nationally, but they do have Brendan Knox, returning Conference USA Offensive Player of the Year, and a running back group that ranks 11. So if they feed him, if, if he's able to stay healthy, uh, we've seen Doc Holliday, you know, cobble together enough and, and you know, play uh, solid enough defense to make Marshall a, a consistent bowl team. I think they're still going to be capable of doing that. I wasn't a, a you know, I, I didn't love Isaiah Green. Uh, he, he certainly, you know, experience was good, had some good games, performed well at times. But, you know, as far as his, his rating goes, was sub 80. Uh, so only nationally average, uh, really even below average for a, a quarterback starter, starting quarterback. So I think Marshall's probably going to be fine if Brendan Knox stays healthy. They're going to be in the mix to, to get to a bowl game. They do have some solid options, uh, do have a solid offensive line, I should say. Uh, so I, I think they're probably not going to really contend in the East, but they're going to be trouble and, and, and I think certainly capable of getting back to a bowl game for sure. Xavier, uh, you feel like going first again? Or, That's why uh, I go first. That is why <laughs> I go first. <laughs> um, I, I, I feel like I cut you off. Did you want to add anything on any of those teams before we uh, go to the, uh, the post-100 teams here? No, I, the only thing I'll add is I think Western Kentucky – is going to make a bigger run that I think people are going to poise for them. They're a very old team offensively. They're they're very a veteran team. And, yes, I think it's going to help them in year two with a new coach that they're able to run a system that they know now. I think that that mixed along with the fact that they are coming off of a good year. You know, I often say on this podcast, old garbage is still just smelly. It just gets worse as it goes. <laughs> but when you have veteran guys who are good and talented enough to play the game and all they need now is – consistency in the offense and they had the entire offseason to you know brush up on nuances and audibles and things of that nature that's going to really help um so I, I think western kentucky has m more of an opportunity to surprise some people in this conference than i think they get uh, than i think they get credit for yeah yeah and they're they're always they're a, a fun team to watch too and, and the reason that they can beat uh, pretty, you know, most teams on their schedule is because you run the ball and play defense. And those are, uh, you know, it, it's really tough if a team is dominant at both of those things in within your conference, it's really hard to compete with them. And we even saw Bama do that for a long time, uh, all the way up until Tua took over. It's run the ball and play defense. Yeah. And, and, you know, if you can excel at that, you can beat, uh, you can beat most teams, but the post 100 teams here, uh, Nick, we've got FIU at uh, 103. We do have them going six and six, and their number from Vegas was six. 
Charlotte at uh, 102. We had them also at 6-6, six and six, but 5 was their number, so maybe a little bit of a better bet. Middle Tennessee at 105 overall. We had them also at 6-6, six and 5.5 six, is their number, so that's a little dicey. Old Dominion at 119 overall. We have them at 3-8, three 3 is their number. I wouldn't bet on them to do anything. Uh, <laughs> North Texas at 101. We also have them at 6-6, six and six, and their number is 5.5, so maybe on that one. UTSA is surprisingly one of our better bets of these teams. At uh, we've got them at four and seven, and their total their their total is three. But this one is really good. Rice we've got down here at one twenty three. We've got them going three and nine, and their projected win total is five and a half. So if that stays the same when we get new numbers, they could be a bettable team to take the under on. And UTEP we've got dead last in FBS at one thirty overall, one and eleven, and their number is two. So. Uh, a couple 500 teams in there with some good talent like FIU, Charlotte, Middle Tennessee, and then other teams that we're not so excited to watch like ODU, North Texas, UTSA, Rice, and UTEP. Uh, Nick. Yeah, yeah. So uh, FIU is one of the most disappointing teams from last year that, that we had. We were really high on them. They, they It seemed like they were able to put together a, a veteran group and, and, you know, recruited some talented guys, had an NFL level quarterback, had some, you know, they had, they had signed a couple of four-star guys on defense uh, just out of, out of uh, Juco and, and what have you. So not even, you know, guys that were uh, quote unquote transfers, like from uh, power five schools that were transfers. Juco, but you know, four-star guys don't don't often uh, end up in Conference USA, and FIU was able to, to land some of them. So we were really high on them last year, and, and they disappointed. They just came out of the gate uh, flat and, and just couldn't really get it uh, going to compete in Conference USA. They did, of course, end up knocking off Miami and, and went to a bowl game. So they were, uh, when all was said and done, you know, felt felt pretty good about it. But uh, our numbers, they they really underperformed uh, what what we expected last year. So uh, I, I I don't uh, have a lot of love for FIU right now. But hopefully they'll hopefully they'll bounce back. Charlotte's a really interesting team because they took a huge step forward. Went with Will Healy, who uh, was basically a miracle worker at Austin P uh, at the FCS level. And, and then, you know, had some immediate success and they've got a lot of talent coming back. Chris Reynolds might be maybe one of the most underappreciated quarterbacks in college football. I mean, he might not, you know, crack the top two as far as conference us, you know, all conference USA uh, teams because of Robeson, because of Asher O'Hara and Milton Sioux we'll talk about later. And, uh, you know, some other guys might, might hop up and, and sort of overshadow him, but he can run, he can throw. Uh, he's, he's a nice piece to build around. And then he's got uh, two returning starters at, at wide receiver. Rico Arnold was uh, a part-time starter who was injured all of last year. So he's back two guys that qualify as, as returning starters at tight end. So a lot of, weapons for him to work with uh, there. And then they also bring back two quality running backs. I mean, Aaron McAllister got uh, a good bit of playing time behind Benny LeMay last year. And then they added Northern Illinois transfer Trey Harbison. So offensively, Charlotte is, is got an opportunity to be really, really good. And they, they brought in actually a couple of uh, transfers defensively who should help bolster what it, and, you know, particular places is a bit of a, inexperienced unit they've got you know two guys that i think are, are going to factor in as 
uh, too deep on the, the defensive line, might end up starting, want to transfer from Vanderbilt and want to transfer actually from Austin P, who is a, an All-American type uh, performer for Will Healy at the FCS level. That's Jason Williams. So keep an eye on those guys as they look to replace uh, Alonzo, or excuse me, Alex Highsmith, uh, who is the third-round draft pick of the Pittsburgh Steelers and, and probably one of my favorite players uh, last year as far as a pass rusher goes particularly at the G5 level. So Charlotte, I think, is certainly a team on the rise. They're a team that might end up maybe with a slightly worse record this year, but perhaps, you know, really set themselves up uh, for a a big 2021. So keep an eye on them. Middle Tennessee, I was a a bit surprised. I I got my uh, annual Phil Steele uh, college football preview, uh, which uh, I'm excited about, always excited about, but Phil Steele has Middle Tennessee as his number two team in, in the East. And that that shocked me a little bit. So I do love Asher O'Hara. They've got some uh, experienced guys coming in to, to hopefully revamp the running game a little bit so they won't have to rely on O'Hara so much. Uh, and uh, Martel Padway, who came from West Virginia, and then Amir Rasul from uh, Florida State. So, you know, they've got four returning starters on the offensive line. They've got a couple of guys coming back on uh, at the receiving core. So there's there's a lot to work with there. But, you know, I, I still was quite surprised to see that they were ranked second in, in the East, according to his uh, predictions. But, you know, we've seen them have success in the past. And, and uh, certainly, you know, when you've got a quarterback like O'Hara, you can certainly really, you know, lean on that type of guy and, and perhaps he can carry a little farther than our numbers might expect. And then Reed Blankenship as a safety is one of the best uh, really at the G5 level as well. He's rated almost 96 according to our number. And then DQ Thomas, a linebacker, is a 100 rated player. So those there aren't too many you know maximum rated guys uh, in Conference USA and, and he's one of them. So even though, you know, those are two of three returning starters on defense for Middle Tennessee. Uh, they're two really, really good ones. So good building blocks, and, and Middle Tennessee certainly is capable of, of knocking off uh, really any team if Asher O'Hara gets hot in the game. So uh, Old Dominion probably you know might take a little bit under Ricky Ronnie. Excited to see what they can do with former five-star uh, Ricky Slade coming over from Penn State. Not sure he's going to be eligible this year, but uh, whenever he uh, is eligible, excited to, to see what he can do at this level. But they've, they've got some decent guys on defense, three uh, guys who got either first or second team all CUSA uh, attention last year. But I, I think you're right that, that they're sort of starting out uh, not necessarily from a, a great place and with a first-time, first-year head coach. Pretty pretty easy bet to, to put them at last in the East here. The West, you know, North Texas, if they can get the quarterback position settled, they've got a couple of decent contenders to replace Mason Fine, but uh, that, that of course, is, is the big thing. Trey Siggers at, at running back and DeAndre Torrey, who had a good year in, in 2018, they've got depth there. They've got Jalen Darden at receivers, an all-conference type player. They've got Jair Shorter, who could be, and then a tight end, kind of a, a really athletic, undersized tight end, Jason Pirtle, gives whoever that quarterback is a lot of weapons to work with, but they also lost a lot on defense and, and really were an underperforming team last year as well. So, uh, And then, of course, as we've talked about before, Rico Busey uh, left to, to transfer to Hawaii. So uh, North Texas, 
is talented, is capable, could get back to a bowl game, but you know, there there's a big mess in that seven, eight, six win range that uh, right now it looks like maybe they're on the bottom end of. UTSA, interesting team, first year head coach, uh, really, really good running back. Really? And they are. Sincere McCormick uh, is one of the best running backs to be nice. in Conference USA. They are in San Antonio, so a lot of talent around. I, I'm intrigued by the coaching hire. I think that they underperformed a, a bit in the past. You know, we, we don't really know much about uh, sort of what they're going to look like, but they, they do have some building blocks. Uh, they are a team that, uh, I, I you know, the schedule – other than the LSU game and, and Memphis, and you know who knows if those are going to be played, but they're they've got some winnable games. We've got a favorite against Old Dominion. We've got a favorite against Rice and UTEP, who, like you said, is uh, according to our numbers the worst team uh, in college football. And and right now it really doesn't look like it's particularly close. I mean UTEP, just our numbers basically hate UTEP. So we haven't been very good at, at picking out who's going to be the worst team in college football, but we think UTEP's going to be the worst team in college football. Rice. I really do think is interesting. Okay. Like you mentioned, our numbers don't like them. Have them, uh, you know, expect them to, to pull out three wins, but the Vegas number is five and a half. My Athlon uh, preview, I believe, had them win in five games. A lot of people think that they could compete for a bowl game. Uh, it, it certainly could happen. I mean, they, they, they really turned it on last year at the end of the season. They won a couple of games. They played really hard all year. They played some close games. So our numbers don't love them because just the talent, you know, just just doesn't really stack up. But if Mike Collins, uh, who, you know, transferred from Penn to TCU, maybe to somewhere else and then ended up at Rice, if he can solidify the quarterback position or, or whoever, you know, solidifies that quarterback position, they could be dangerous because Austin Trammell and Brad Rosner are really, really good receivers for the group of five. And Blaze Aldridge is somebody that NFL draft guys, if they don't already know the name, the linebacker are, are going to need to know. He's he's somebody that's capable of putting up certainly all conference numbers. And depending on how things shake out, you see sometimes, you know, group of five linebackers just put up incredibly eye-popping numbers like 150 tackles he's that type of guy I, I rice plays at a really slow pace offensively under mike bloomgren so you know it might not work out quite that way but he's one of the best linebackers maybe in college football and, and he's going to put up huge huge tackle numbers and, and hopefully he'll be able to uh you know get some sacks interceptions things like that as well get some national recognition and, and some nfl draft uh scouts uh eyes on him as well so Rice is, is, I do think, going to be interesting because they play a different style of football. Bloomgren was at Stanford. They do the intellectual brutality type thing, the tight ends, the fullbacks. Mix all that together, they're going to keep some games close, and they might be able to pull out a couple of wins that you wouldn't expect. And then they do have some playmakers, Austin Trammell, Brad Rosner, like I said. So everything could click for Rice. They could make a big jump. A lot of people seem to expect that. I did buy the Roost. Uh, is a Rice-specific uh, outlet. I bought their preseason preview. I haven't dug in quite yet, but they've got over 100 <laughs> pages on Rice. So I will I will learn more about Rice than I know right now. But I like that. Uh, I, I, I am excited about that. I'm excited to, to dig into that. Those guys, I think, 
seem to do really good work. Uh, and I hope everybody out there supports good work like that. But uh, Rice, our numbers don't love them, but some people are pretty optimistic and, and they certainly could make a run at a bowl game if, if they play enough games. Scott, we know what to get Nick for birthday, Christmas, Kwanzaa, anniversary, everything. Just start buying him subscriptions to different, That's right. to different G5 teams. Yeah. 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 Yeah, don't threaten him time. So he'd be excited to have all that. Hey, if anybody out there, Michigan, uh, the Wolverine, I think it's the name of the publication, put an awesome preview. Uh, and it's like five bucks for the online version. It's like 130 pages. And so if anybody out there does something say? like Michigan. So Michigan's Michigan. got a great one. The Rice one is good. I bought those last week. Michigan it, can't have their roster up, but they already have their preview guide out. It was it was Come a on. huge help. I updated I updated uh, our team profiles thanks to a lot of the stuff that they had in there and, and made sure I had uh, weights and heights right and, and things like that. So uh, if anybody out there pours their heart and soul into a team preview or a conference preview, I will buy it. So reach out to me. I will buy a Rice preview that's got 100 pages on Rice football. So, hey, I, I'm your target audience if you're out there. But absolutely. I like it. I like it. Uh uh, Xavier, your thoughts on any of those teams that are uh, sub 100 nationally ranked in Conference USA? Uh, I don't want. I, I didn't want to do this because I don't want to sound like a terrible human being. I've already been so negative in this show. No, I don't really have anything much else to add. I think that the only thing I will say is I think out of, out of FIU, Charlotte, and Middle Tennessee, I think that that's going to be where we see those whether good not, squads. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's where we're going to see kind of the cream rise to the crop, right rise to the top. I think that's where if FAU does slip up, I think it will be the one of those teams. I don't think they'll slip up against one of. The, I don't think they'll slip up against a Western Kentucky, a Marshall, a UAB, anybody at the top of the conference. I think it's one of those three teams because those three teams, in my opinion, have they're they're, they're those teams that have nothing to lose. Essentially, they they always remind me of an Iowa State or something like that where you go play them and it's very difficult every single game, every single time you play them to get a win because they have absolutely nothing to lose. And they have everything to gain. So if FAU were to slip up this season, although I do see them going undefeated in their conference, those will be the teams I look for. The FIUs, the Charlotte, and the Middle Tennessee. All right. Well, that is going to wrap it up. Another over two-hour episode. But you know you're coming here for the deep dives and the great information that we have. At Much CSU. to Xavier's chagrin. That's right. So remember <laughs> to follow us all on Twitter, at Bogman Sports for me, at CFB Winning Edge for Nick. At Xavier underscore Tris T R I C H E for Xavier, and I don't know if we have a plan for next week yet. Do we, Nick? We do. Yeah, we we haven't talked about the ACC yet, so uh, that that will be our our final uh, Power Five conference. So we'll talk about the ACC and Notre Dame since uh, they're pretty closely linked anyway, but also uh, because they're probably going to play, you know, an ACC schedule this year. It sounded like, and then we'll actually have a a. G5 only show. I, I think that the ACC is big enough and Notre Dame is important enough that we'll just kind of put them all together. But we'll have the AAC, uh, the P6, and then we'll talk about the G5 independence uh, on August 5th, and that'll wrap up our uh, preseason previews. And, and hopefully by that time, maybe we'll have a little bit more, you know, concrete yeah. uh, start times and, and things like that. That's everything the last couple of weeks. You know, things change daily, but it sounds you I, I've often heard anytime we change something like well but by the end of July start of August we'll know a lot more so hopefully by that time we'll, we'll know a lot more <laughs> and we'll be able to 
uh, talk with some certainty maybe about uh, the 2020 uh, college football season. Here's hoping. So uh, stick with us. We'll be back next week. And uh, that, that I don't see why that wouldn't be uh, on a normal schedule right now. Uh, I, I had so much going on. It was absolutely my fault that this show was pushed back this week. So I apologize for any of you who are looking for it on Thursday and didn't get it until the afternoon on Friday. So, But we'll be back on schedule on time next week. And we will see you then. Take it easy, everybody.